Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, or as the show has to be called this week, the Cinematic Universe. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, <laughs> and joining me are James Hunt and Reese Williamson. Uh, today we will be discussing, of course, James Gunn's 2021 film, The Suicide Squad, um, the film that, that got made because he got fired. Um, we are going to be, we normally don't, but we are going to be discussing the comic book movie news this week uh, because it's been a while since we did. And also because. Um, I don't think a spoiler-free section would be much fun for the Suicide Squad. We would have very, very little to talk about. So we'll do the news, and then we'll go straight into the spoiler-filled discussion of the movie. So heads up on that one. If you haven't seen the film and you don't want to be spoiled, maybe just stick around for the news and then go off and watch the movie on, uh, I think, in this country, just in cinemas. But you've got your HBO Max if you're on... Uh, the other side of the pond. Uh, but before any of that, I'm going to ask James to explain a comic book concept that I just don't understand. Um, and James, this week, uh, Reese has provided me with this, and I properly don't understand it. I've seen you, <laughs> I've seen you t- tweeting, uh, alluding to this a couple of times. Um, okay. And I wonder if you could explain what has happened with comic creators and Substack in the last week, and how big a deal it might be. <laughs> Yeah, so um, Substack, who, as you will know, is a provider of, like, newsletter subscriptions. You know, they're sort of a, a a place that pays people. It's like Patreon if you don't really have anything to sell, right? Um, or, pa- or, or Patreon if, what, if, if all you are providing is, like, you know, written material, right? Yeah, yeah. Page- well, you can do that on Patreon. But, yeah, yeah it's like a, a, pa- a Patreon-like platform. Um, that has been under fairly heavy criticism in the last few months for doing things like allowing Graham Linehan to spread, you know, anti-trans rhetoric and, you know, dox people um, and hasn't kicked him off the platform like any other good social media site has. Um, But anyway, Substack have taken a, a bunch of money and paid a load of comic creators to come and make comics for them. Um, Chip Starsky's doing it. Jonathan Hickman's on the platform. Uh, Ryan Stegman and uh, Donny Cates, who were making Venom for Marvel, have gone and done it. 
So what, they're going to be making comics for Substack? Yeah, and the idea is that they will, you know, regularly update people on the process of making the comics, and then at the end of it, when when the comic is released, they'll give it out digitally for free and then you know they can go and get it printed up or whatever and sell it as they like um, okay so is it is it going to be original content yes it's not t- it's it's none, none of, stuff. yeah none of this is tied to any of the pre-existing comics houses no and the the word on the street the word on the internet street is that they're throwing absolutely shit loads of money at people like actually paying them a decent wage which is why some of the biggest names in comics are going like why would i work for marvel or dc when i can get you know enough money to pay for medical insurance off these guys and it it does sound from what you just described like a really interesting approach to the content to kind of essentially give you like i don't know the criterion edition blu-ray of of the comic that you're about to read with all of the yeah. with all of the kind of the the hidden extras that go into making the thing that you read at Yeah, the I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because speaking personally, I don't know how Reese feels about this, but I have next to no interest in the process of how comics get made. Like I'm I'm fully aware of it. I don't really need to see everything, you know, going into the mix. I'm just happy to read the comic. Um I... so I wonder I wonder how interested people will be in this. I think this is a big deal, uh, and I don't think you. I think you think it's a smaller deal than I do. Uh, and I oh also no, think I think you, it's a huge deal. Okay, okay. Uh, and also, think you. I think. I think the angle is less. It's less. It's less sort of see how the sausage is made, and and that will make you buy the comic. I I think it's more about what Substack has seemed to be about previously, which is to create real. In, and then this is how the whole news media has been moving anyway, but real personality driven media. Mm-hmm. So. So you aren't going to, you know, Graham Linehan, love him or hate him. You know, mostly people <laughs> on our side of the ideology hate him. But anyway, he has established a, uh, a, a sort of a personal brand, and he's writing from that. And then you also have um, people like, uh, oh god, who's the ex New York, who's the Xbox guy? Matt Inglesias made a lot of made a lot of ground on Substack. But they're su- they're just purely you kind of you buy into their personal brand, and then you read, and then you pay to read their stuff. So I, I can't, I, which, which comics, you know, which comics has always done to an extent, mm-hmm. but I kind of think this is what you're looking at here. This is Scott Snyder and James Tinian the fourth and, and Chip Dzdarsky. These are, these have, these are personalities already, but I think they will then sort of trying to build their own personal brands on Substack, And that's, what's going to fuel the, the purchases of the comics. And, and that, you know, it's, so it'll be, you know, I, I, you'll see podcasts from them or you'll see, it, it won't just, you know, I think Scott Sanders is going to do classes on sub but it's, it's all about connecting him to connecting these individuals with their audience. <laughs> it's about, it's about the, the parasocial relationships. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about the image, the, the image moment, because I, I think this is, I think this compares to that, that definitely. Um, but you know, the, just the, obviously the tech and media landscape was not the same back in the nineties. You, you, you were never going to get that same, that the, you know, mm-hmm. that level of access to Liefeld and Lee and, um, et cetera. Whereas now that's what, that's what could sort of supercharge this, this yeah. moment. So I think, I think it could be big and it could, you know, to, to our more general interest, you know, it could, you could, I could, you could definitely see. In ten years, the fruits of all these labors made into movies, you know, or less than that, five years. So the only reason I disagree with you on this, and I think you're right, it could be as big as the creation of Image, but 
the thing for me that makes me go, I'm not sh- not so sure about this, is that it feels like it's being driven by venture capital, and I want to know what's going to happen when that capital runs out. Because like you don't chuck this much money at comics unless that money is worthless. <laughs> like I I just don't see them. I don't see this being a long term thing, because what they're doing at the moment is cherry picking the biggest names in the industry and that's not going to work once you've got all the biggest names is this how substack works because i thought that substack was like okay here is this creator they might put some stuff up for free they might put some stuff up Mm -hmm. that i have to subscribe to and it's and it's me funding them so what's the difference here that substack as a platform The, the difference here is that substack have started going after individual people and saying we want you to come and do content on Substack. We will pay you to draw people to our platform. So this is what I mean. It's at the moment they're going through a period of growth, which is investment driven. Right. And I, I'm intrigued to see what happens because I don't think it's going to sustain, certainly not at this level. But I mean, then again, I might have said the same about Netflix and that's still going. So Or Patreon, I guess. Or Patreon. Well, who, Patreon doesn't. Who would pay Patreon is... to listen to, to hear <laughs> podcasts that people release for free anyway? Well, no, that's the thing though. The, the Patreon model is come and do our stuff. We'll take a cut of the money, right? Mm. Patreon don't go and say, or at least they don't publicly go and say, bring your podcast to Patreon. We'll give you fifty k a year. I guess Spotify right? do that though, right? That's that's what, uh, that's what Spotify's model has been. I know, I know, Acast do, yeah. No, but I mean, I Sp- Spotify do. have bought, you know, like the Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan, the <laughs> Bring, yeah, the Bring yeah. a Network, and made yeah. them kind of Spotify exclusive. And yeah, uh, I mean, this is the thing. It's not. It's not a model that is without its, uh, you know, cultural footprint. But mm. I think people have tried this sort of thing with comics before, and it's failed. So I'll be interested to see if it does it this time. Yeah, and I, I guess, uh, and I do count myself as an outsider here, and, and from the outside, my big question would be, in comics, how many names are brands and have been able to become brands beyond a niche? Like, how many... Uh, like, like, are any of these people, like, Mark Miller level? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know if James disagrees, but they, they are for they are for the current market. Yes, I, I think Scott Snyder is about as big a name as you, yeah, as you haven't. That John, was, Jonathan, that was Jonathan, Hickman, that Jonathan Hickman is about as big a name as you have in comics at the moment. I yeah, think. I mean, the, the really interesting thing about Jonathan Hickman's thing is that apparently he's coming off the X-Books because of it. Oh, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So, like, they've paid him basically enough money that he's going, well, I'm going to stop doing that Marvel job and move to this. And, like, the... The talent drain from Marvel and DC is an interesting one. It, again, it's so the what, same what, uh, as something that happened during the image years. So, so how many of these are going to be exclusive to Substack? Um, they, they good all, question. They all are they, they well, they're not exclusive to Substack. The content they're making is the writers aren't. However, yeah, they create their creator, but all the content is is you know it's like it's like Image, you know, it's creator owned yeah, content, so, but I guess not going to be published anywhere else. So as a uh, you know, if I'm like okay, I'm going to Substack because I love Chip Zdarsky. Well, do I love him or do I love the IP that he tends to write? And if he's and if I've got the choice of oh, I can go and subscribe to his Substack or I can pick up his latest Daredevil comic, well. I know Daredevil. 
and Chip Zdarsky's still at Marvel. What yeah, just... although that's not that's not a Substack. That's not a thing new to Substack. You know, you'd, you, most of the to be. I mean, I think James would agree with this. Most of the big name creators from when we were younger, you know, when I was in my peak comic reading days, are still writing comics, but they don't. You know, but I read them first for Marvel mainly, but and DC, and they don't they don't write for them anymore. They've gone off and yeah. done their own creator and stuff because because of the thing that's been in the media. You know, in those in the last week about about the payments that you can get from mm-hmm. Marvel and DC because it's work for hire versus what you can get for you. So they go and they make their name at Marvel and DC. And then, and yeah. then when they, they feel that that cachet is big enough, then they move on. And so this is, this is, this is an extension. This is an extension of that, except that, except that there's more money up front. I think that would be the difference. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's the it, same idea. It'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm trying to view it through a movie lens and I'm going, <laughs> okay, Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. Okay, I can go and watch Robert Downey Jr. be Iron Man in the Marvel movies. Okay, I'll I'll pay to watch all of those. Okay, Robert Downey Jr. has left Marvel and he's on <laughs> he's on Netflix and he's now playing uh, original superheroes on Netflix and there's going to be ten of them and if I subscribe to Netflix I can watch all of them. I, I, I don't know if I, I I like Iron Man. I don't I don't know if I like Robert Downey Jr. as other superheroes. Um, and I guess that's that's the question I'm asking from the outside: is are, are these names big enough on their own to? They're big enough for comics readers, right? Because Chip Starsky which is, is doing a, which is like, which is a, a small market to begin with. I it think. is a small market, yeah. yeah. And Chip Starsky is saying he's doing like what he calls his follow up to Sex Criminals, which is something that he is writing and drawing. And that's quite a big deal. Like if, if something that he was writing and drawing was coming out of image, I would probably buy it as it stands. Whenever it comes out in collected form, I'll read it. Then I'm not going to subscribe and pay $7 a month or whatever the tier is but, to see but, it being made. But Joe, this is a, this is a movie story, I think, because, you know, you just look at the, just the churn of, of IP is, is, is yeah. just high. It's just getting ever higher. And, and, you know, there's just there are going to be only so many of the big Marvel and DC characters that are up for grabs. Well, and, and you know they're up for grabs by Disney and, and Warner's. But you know, you've got so many other players that are going to want to get in the game. Think about the Bloodshot movie that came yeah. out not that long ago. So who's or, I don't so, know, or Invincible? So this this is the stuff that's being made now. And so how I much just think of, could be adapted? So say, uh, so say I don't know. Say Scott Snyder creates uh, a new superhero i don't know called um uh, i got i literally can't think of a superhero uh, <laughs> l- looking around my room a uh, bin bag man so <laughs> say scott snyder creates bin bag man and that's a, a yeah just a you know it really takes off on substack and netflix come in and go we want to make a movie of bin bag man who gets paid snyder does, yeah, sub, d- d- yeah. does Substack get any of that? I don't, th- I don't think so. No. The, I mean, we don't know the specifics. I would expect not, because otherwise, what's the attraction of working for them? Well, I guess, the I guess if it's, I guess if it's fifty-fifty, that might be much more preferable to the Marvel. But it, if, here's, here's, if a, here's was, a thank you note. <laughs> if it was fifty-fifty, you would say, "Well, I can take this idea to Image and own yeah. all of it." Right. Okay. I think the play here from Substack is it's what James was saying. It's just growth. It's it's okay. You got uh, you got you know you want people who read things. This is a this is a a reader's 
social network or whatever. People read things on this. Comics, big big fan bases for comics. People read comics. Let's pay, let, let's pay a load of money now for this year or for the next few years to get a load of comic creators to, to do a load of stuff here. You get people reading comics here and then, then they'll read other stuff. And, and then and where you know, will... we get cuts of those subscriptions. I think they get they would get a cut of the subscription. So okay. so, so so Snyder would own the rights to Bin Bag Man, but to have read Bin Bag Man for two <laughs> years, Substack have gotten, you know, whatever, five. And you read 10, it on 50%. Substack. Is there gonna be is there gonna be physical comics? That's a good question. I'm not sure. What, I, what I've seen is that they will be free to put stuff in print eventually. I don't know if there's any right. timed exclusivity or, you know, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just leave it as you have to subscribe to my Substack to see it. But I think the option is there if they want to publish it physically. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know about James or jo- I haven't, you know, I haven't read a physical comic. I haven't p- purchased a physical comic really in years and years and years. So, so certainly I, not on the reg. Right. So that, that I, I know that, Obviously, people do, and I'm sure I will again in the future for whatever reason. But to be a like a properly digital first comic, new comic operation is it just has to be has to be the right move, you know. And, and obviously, it saves a load of a load of overheads that Marvel and DC kind of still being, you know, the, arguably those are still publishing first models. You know, you you come in digitally and you just don't you just don't have you don't have those. Yeah. Although, like for me, the issue is that there is no no single comic creator who would make me give money to Substack because at the moment that platform is propped up by like right-wing bigots. And is that, is that doing sorry, opinion it, pieces because they've been kicked off their newspapers or booted off social so again, media? I, I was going to ask this question. Is that, is that's that, not my view. Is that a widespread thing on the platform? Because you know, my, my few exposures to Substack have been like, I don't know, film critics setting up their own, you know, like people, series of people I respect. People I respect, including comic creators I respect, have moved off Substack on the basis that they're not doing enough to tackle the sort of right wing element on there. And so maybe that will change in the future, but at the moment I'm just like they're not they're not getting my money. In a in a way that's worse than Twitter. I mean, Twitter's not monetized. Twitter. Yes, that's the, that, I guess oh, yeah. that is the difference. To to James's point, you know, to be to be morally pure about it, I think that's that's a that's a fair stance that I respect. But I I don't and I think I'm probably I probably am okay to give mostly Chip Zdarsky, you know, give to give Chip Zdarsky a ten pounds, which he takes ninety percent of. If if ten percent of that goes to a a, 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 a umbrella that also funds, I mean, Gremlin Han and some other <laughs> people too. I think I think I can I'm okay to. I'm and in fairness to Chip Starsky, when he announced his Substack, one of his points was that he will be donating, I think, ten percent of all of his personal profits to an LGBTQ charity. So it's it's not like he hasn't recognised the uh, you know moral compromise involved in using Substack because he absolutely has. And hopefully, something like this is the drive to get them to, you know, if you get if you get a load of liberal comics creators onto the platform. Maybe that gets more eyes on the you know less pleasant aspect of Substack, and they start taking that stuff a bit more seriously. Yeah, although I think Substack is just fine with having Graham Linhan on the platform. I think that's a shame, um, and that's you can you can you have to you know he has enough of a profile that they know <laughs> they know what he's writing about, and they know yeah. who's re- you have to assume right. You, yeah. have, you have to assume. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, let, let's move on to this week's comic book movie and TV news. <laughs> and this is going to be, I think, just as messy as that conversation was because mm. we're gonna we're gonna start to. Yeah, yeah, which 
it's just, it's a very, very weird time. I think it's a weird transitional time for cinema. Um, and cinema at the moment, its biggest kind of box office draw pre the pandemic was superhero movies. And so superhero movies are right at the center of some of the most fascinating discussions around what are the future of movies. Um, and this all started, um, this chain of events that we're going to start to talk about, started when Scarlett Hansen um, announced that she was suing Disney, her former employers, over Black Widow's Disney Plus release. Um, so you may remember that Disney decided to release the film simultaneously on, in theatres and on Disney Plus premiere access. Um and we talked about this when um, when Warner Brothers did it and kind of pissed off a load of their creators by saying movies, including one that we're going to talk about today, The Suicide Squad, uh, were going to be released on HBO Max and that, you know, they may or may not get a cinema release as well. Um, one of the first ones that did that was Wonder Woman 84 and they made an agree. they, they kind of paid off Gal Gadot and... Um, Patty Jenkins pre the release of that film um, to allow for that to happen, but didn't make such deals with other creators. And we kind of assumed, given that Disney had Disney Plus and that there wasn't such like a brouhaha back then, that Disney had, you know, kind of broader contracts that allowed potentially for this kind of thing to happen. And also it did seem like back then that by the time that Black Widow came out, that they wouldn't need to do it. Um they obviously did. Scarlett Hansen wasn't happy and has decided to sue. Um, she's saying that her contract was intentionally breached um, and that stopped her re reaching the full benefit of her deal with Marvel, which I guess would be tied to kind of back-end performance of the box office and how much she would have made beyond that. Um mm -hmm. And I think where all of this becomes really messy and kind of why I, I see all of this playing out in a particular way is none of the streaming services want to announce specifically how many people are watching things and how much money that stuff is making. The, the kind of the, you know, you see Netflix has an oper a net operating loss in the hundreds of millions, if not billions every year. Um, but their share price is the all important thing. So they keep funding content and Disney will be the same to drive subscribers because that drives the share price. And so having something like Black Widow on the service on Premier Access helps drive subscribers for Disney+, Plus, but it doesn't help Scarlett Johansson make money on the back end of her deal. Now, whether she gets a cut of the Premier Access subscription, we don't know. Um, and guys, I also kind of feel like we will never find out any of this because... This case feels destined to be settled out of court. And <laughs> I was going to say, no chance this makes it to court. Because if it makes not it, if, to... not if Scarlett Johansson is smart. Well, if it, well, if if Disney's smart, because if it makes it to court, the evidence that would have to be provided would be mm. how many subscribers the service has. Um, you know, how many of them paid for premier access to Black Widow? How many of them watched it when it became became free? How quickly they watched it? How many minutes they watched it for? And, um, and, you know, they would also have to put, even if they settle out of court and they put a number on it, that would be something that would have to, you know, 
to the general public would then know and other streaming services that would then know and other actors would then know what mm-hmm. kind of dollar value Disney puts on being able to put Black Widow on Disney Plus. And so anyone else with any other back-end deals or anyone else negotiating their deal to star in an upcoming movie, for example, I don't know, say say Marvel is sat there right now uh, negotiating with the actors they want to star in Fantastic Four. And those actors are going, okay, cool, so how much do we get? How many people are going to watch it if you put it on Premier Access? You know, is it ever going to get a Blu-ray release now, or is it ever going to get a DVD release, or is it going? Is it going to go out for rental on iTunes? Um, will it go out in cinemas? If it goes out in cinemas, how how much of a window will it get? Um, and so, all of this stuff is going to happen behind closed doors, um, and it just feels extremely, extremely messy. My impulse is to. Uh, to sympathise with Scarlett Johansson here, as much as you can for someone who's been apparently paid $20 million up front and, <laughs> you know, is, is suing for the extra. But, you know, she she starred in this movie. She waited a long time to to get this movie based on the appetite for her character to have this movie. She executive And they broke the it. contract, right? That's, and, well, that's the thing. It and, doesn't matter what they paid her or what they, they reneged on the agreement. So, well, that she, it she sounds, alleged, she alleged yeah, that, right? it sounds like they did. I, you know, I'm sure there's lots of legalese in the contract, but from the outside, I, I, I don't think there is a, the side of this with people kind of going like, oh, this, this is a bad thing because if Scarlett Johansson wins this, maybe we won't get like a series two of Loki. Like, <laughs> no, I think I, good. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> if I win, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think I think Disney is going to be able to produce whatever content they want, whether or not Scarlett Johansson wins this lawsuit or not. Um, yeah, well, it, the the question you should always ask yourself when a, a single person is fighting a giant corporation is, why on earth would I ever sympathise with a corporation on this side? Like, yeah, um, Disney will be fine, whatever the outcome of this is. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I think Scarlett Hansen will as well. And I think it's interesting that they did this with her movie, which was, you know, pretty definitively her last Marvel project. Someone that they weren't going to be in business with again and could mm-hmm. do this to, rather than, I don't know, the next Thor movie with Chris Hemsworth, who pre- presumably they want to be working with for the next five to ten years. Uh, they're probably going to treat that a lot more delicately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although, yeah. Although it's it's you know it's Disney. They the, they are the biggest media conglomerate in the world. So the idea that Scarlett Johansson, you know, would never want to work with Disney again is probably that's probably a wrong assumption. You know, from 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 her from her camp. If that if that is her assumption, that's probably a foolish one. Uh, on, I'm not saying I'm not saying this was she was right to do. Well, you know, she was right to do this, but. It's Disney, you know. It's Disney. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that was, uh, and and you know th- that has been ongoing for a couple of weeks. Like I said, I don't think we're going to be coming back to this a lot. I think at just some point we'll find out that they've settled out of court, and uh, and and that will be that, and we'll not know <laughs> how much they settled for or what it means for the future of these kind of releases. Um, but then there was a bit more drama this week in the lead up to the Shang-Chi premiere. 
Um, now, uh, the new Disney CEO, Bob Chapek, who I think took over from Bob Iger about 18 months ago, uh, said that Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings will be, quotes, an interesting experiment for us because it's only got a 45-day window. Which, uh, what he's saying there is that, so this isn't one of those Disney Plus Premier Access movies. Shang-Chi is going exclusive to theatres, but only for 45 days, which, you know, is is drastically down on what it used to be. So it will be up on Disney Plus after that. And I think, you know, we've talked about this before. Chapek refers to it as a data point. And, you know, we've we've talked about with these releases now, everything is kind of a new test because all of this is uncharted territory. Like um, Shang-Chi is coming out and early reviews have been very strong. And if that holds up, it will be a new Marvel movie with a new Marvel character that, you know, presumably will be, I would imagine will have a bit more of that must-see energy to it than Black Widow did. And if that film comes out with good reviews and isn't on Disney Plus and bombs, then, you know, a lot of questions are going to be asked. Well, except what, you know, the complicating factor here is that globally the pandemic is, yeah. is far from over. That has yes. to, that has to Especially be part in of America this conversation. As well. Yeah. You know, you know, I think that the, I'm not just saying this because Shang-Chi is an Asian superhero, but the Chinese release window, you know, for Hollywood films is, is not what it was in, in previous years. I don't know if there's a confirmed Shang-Chi release for China, but you would have thought that, you know, that's, that there's opportunity there if it, if it will be released, but you know, like when it might be released, who knows? So that's, that is part of it. You know, it's not yeah, like we aren't, we aren't yet into a world of that, that where things can operate like they did, you know, no, no, ab- ab- we aren't there yet. Absolutely not. And, and, you know, I, I was saying this to James this week. I, I feel, inc- I'm feeling increasingly like the box office is never going to bounce back to where it was. I just, I just, I can't eat in like in whatever a, you know, whatever and whenever we kind of designate a post COVID world. I'm starting to think that cinema just doesn't get back to where it was um, and that box office doesn't get back to where it was and that, um, and, and, and also that the studios aren't planning for it to. That's, you know, they're looking at Disney Plus and HBO Max, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and, and how they, how they release films will be fundamentally different. And the box office is that, you know, they're talking about like Shang-Chi, if it matches Ant-Man's box office, it'll be a huge win. Um, and obviously, you know, we're still in COVID times now, but that's still significant. And I think that what Bob Chapek is talking about with data points is, yeah, you take all of those things into account, but this is this is a data point, And I'm sure that they will look at Shang-Chi in cinemas with good reviews, with no opportunity to watch it online as a very good data point to compare against how the Suicide Squad mm-hmm. did in cinemas with very good reviews, but the opportunity to watch it on HBO Max. Um, so that's, that's what I mean. I think, I, I do think that, you know, if it doesn't perform well, it, I, I, I do think it will be significant. Um, Interesting though. Yeah. Sorry. You keep going. Yeah. Keep going. <clears throat> well, anyway, I, what, what I was going to say was then, uh, so Bob J. Peck had obviously referred to it as an experiment. And I think it was pretty clear what he was talking about. The experiment was, the 45-day window and 
kind of every movie that they release is an experiment right now, especially one that has a different release to anything before it. Uh, but Simu Lu tweeted, we are not an experiment. We are the underdog, the underestimated. We are the ceiling breakers. We are the celebration of culture and joy that will persevere after an embattled year. We are the surprise. I'm fired the fuck up to make history on September the 3rd. Join us. Um, now, I totally sympathize with Simu Lu's, um, you know, kind of, you know, I can imagine him bristling at being called the called an experiment as the Asian-American lead of a Marvel movie for the first time. And, um, and you know, a, a movie that is, you know, has a predominantly Asian-American cast. Um, I can imagine why he bristled at it being, his movie being called An Experiment, but also uh, we, we need to stop referring to Marvel movies as underdogs. <laughs> yeah, <that was> <laughs> <laughs> but don't you also think what he's getting to there is like, who's excited to go see an experiment? Like what he's getting to there is, 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 is. Yeah, but that's not the director talking. That's, that's a guy who owns a multinational conglomerate talking. That's distributing his movie. So, you know, maybe partly what he's saying there is like, Hey, Hey, upper brass or whoever we let's just get people excited for this movie because I don't want to be, you know, maybe this movie doesn't perform well COVID or otherwise, you know, I want to. I want to do my part, and we should all be doing our part to to give it the best shot it has. Which means get people excited to see this movie, not 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 talk about it as a you know as a data point or as an experiment. Talk about it as a great movie, a great exciting movie that the audience mm-hmm. is going to want to see. You know, that's part that's part of what he's saying. He's also he's you know it's it's both things. I so think. this is where Kevin Feige steps in. He is not a shy man, <laughs> Feige said about Simulu's tweet. I think in, in, in that particular tweet, you can see, and I think everyone does, a misunderstanding. It was not the intention. The proof is in the movie, and we swing for the fences as we always do. With the amount of creative energy we put in and the budget, there's no expense spared to bring this origin story oh. to the screen. Feige, Feige 2024, Feige, you speak <laughs> the words of God. He's just so good at this. He's so good at this corporate fucking finagling bullshit. It's, it's an art. He, yeah. does, he does it like it's an art. He's painting with a brush. Reese, you, you, just, you just said, this is what Bob Chapek should have said. And Kevin Feige went, all right, I'll say it then. Yeah. <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and I think interestingly to tie into all of this as well, Kevin Feige was also asked about Eternals, and would ask was asked, you know, so that is a movie that's that's going to be out closer to Christmas. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with the Delta variant and whether that will affect uh, certain, you know, going going into the colder weather season, whether that will affect. Uh, I think we do movies. know it will affect it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we do. I mean, you know, I mean, I, right? I mean, it, it's, I'm sorry. It just feels like an, maybe not in this country, but it, that feels like a, a sad inevitability. I think. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know. I feel okay. a lot more optimistic than I did last year, just because. Yes, COVID is spreading, but people are still going to the cinemas and. Um, I, I think that, you know, b- b- because of the amount of vaccinated and double vaccinated people that, you know, you're obviously, you're the, the, yes, the, the COVID case numbers are going up, but the hospitalizations and deaths are staying a lot lower. And there is, 
uh, you know, th- there is, uh, I don't think, much appetite from people to go back to kind of lockdowns and staying home. So if, it, uh, and I think from governments to issue lockdowns. So if the cinemas aren't being told that they have to close, then are they not just going to release the movies? We'll see what happens with Bond, I think. Well, Bond's, yeah, Bond's coming out. That's, that's, that's too, I think Bond's coming out globally, but for me, yeah, for me, the Eternals date, what is it? It's, uh, early November? I feel like, I feel like it's it? November. Yeah. It's definitely November. It's just where it is November. It just, it just, that just feels too far away to, to be, to be certain, you know, to be. Oh no, there's, there's, about, there's no you know. certainty there. <laughs> and, and the fact that they, you know, it's Marvel have already done a, a premier access day and date. Uh, Eternals will be released in cinemas. I think it's just whether whether they'll do the premiere thing on the same day. That's fifth, and, and, uh, fifth of November bet, is the answer. Sure, I would bet. I would bet. Oh, I'd bet yes. I think if I was, you know, slimly, but I'd bet yes. I think just about at this at this juncture. So you you think cinemas and Disney Plus. Uh, Disney Plus Premier Access yeah. on on the day. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes, I would go with that. that as well. I think, but also, but hey, guess what? That all that will mean the numbers, the box office numbers that we are aware of are bad for Eternals, and that creates its own, you know, uh, sort of second order effects, domino effects from that because they they because of course they'll be soft if that if that's the choice they make. Mm. Um, and it yeah. it does make you wonder as well, you know, like if Scarlett Hansen is suing saying you put my movie on Disney Plus and that you know, that, that limited the box office potential of the movie. Well, then is it, is it equally possible that I don't know? I don't know. You know, I'm just pick, picking a name out of thin air here, but say Angelina Jolie has a back end deal on the Eternals, right? Which she, of course she does. Yeah. And Disney goes, right. Okay. So for that reason, we are going to release Eternals purely in cinemas in November. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. she goes, you released my movie during a COVID surge mm. where people weren't going to the cinemas. If you'd held this movie until next year, maybe, you know, uh, the, the earning mm. potential would have been a lot bigger. Now, obviously Disney and um, particularly the Marvel movies are, uh, you know, you know, like th- th- they need to come out before certain other projects. And mm. if you delay that movie, then can you release the Disney plus show that you want to release that maybe, ties in heavily to that thing, you know, because of the way they, so, so, you know, do, do they open themselves up to, to that kind of problem as well? It just, I mean, I mean, I, I, and this is, this is not to sympathize with Disney, I should say. <laughs> I do. I was going to say, I think the difference there is that releasing the movie as contractually obliged would leave Angelina Jolie, for example, in a much, uh, less contentious position than Scarlett Johansson had. Yeah, but it, because it, 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 they didn't do what they promised to do, regardless mm. of what they agreed with her. Otherwise, but if you could say demonstrably, like, look, if you'd held that movie for six months until you, when you knew because of the trends of coronavirus that you know that, that it would be safer and that more people would be confident to go to theaters in the spring than they would be in November. Yeah, I just I think it's I think it's less solid legal footing if they can say, well, the government didn't shut down movie theaters. Yeah. Like there were no additional measures in place. The, you know, movies had been, have been coming out for months. You know, if you get to that level, you might as well say, why did you put my movie out in February and not July? 
which, and also, which you know, you know some, some you movie have... stars have done in the past. <laughs> you also, but, but, but you know, have they sued? Maybe they've made comments, but I'm not. I w- my guess is that those contracts are pretty are pretty sealed up, watertight for any kind of change in marketing yeah. plans yeah. or release dates. You know, that stuff. I've <laughs> got to imagine the, the studios, and especially now, it would not surprise yeah, me exactly. if they had had revised contracts yeah. sent around, being like, "Sign this, please." <laughs> And the other, you know, and the other pieces, you know, the, Scarlett, I'm sure Scarlett Johansson in her in her own head when she makes Black Widow is like, I'm I'm completely done with this, and you know, save for extremes, I'm just done with this, with all of this. So therefore, this moment here, she's she has no future in the MCU. So yeah, fine, take a shot. Whereas you know, literally every single everybody involved in Eternals and the the cast is pretty stacked and there's lots, lots of characters in there. Surely this is in all, in most of their heads. This is the start of yeah. Their they journey. want to come back for the sequel. You would have thought, even even Zhao maybe. Okay, um, and and then so the final piece of the COVID superhero movie puzzle <laughs> for this episode <laughs> is that Warner Brothers and AMC theaters in in the states have agreed to shorten the theatrical window for their entire twenty twenty two film slate, uh, which includes movies like The Batman um, <laughs> and The Flash, um, and uh, no definite article before Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Um, they should they should think about remedying that and the DC League <laughs> of Super Pets and the and the Black Adam. Oh shit, we've got a lot to talk about next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they they've agreed to a forty five day theatrical window. Um, and uh, you know, in terms of talking about what is the changing landscape going to be for cinemas and superhero movies coming out in them, I think this is something we are never coming back from. Theatrical windows are shortening and. I, I, I can't see that changing beyond COVID. How, how many of us? Sorry, Reese, you go first. Well, I was just going to say, you're ca- uh, the reason I put this story last, I didn't, I didn't mean it for you to deliver it like you delivered it. I just kind of put it in as, because you've couched it as a uh, shortening of the window, but, but you know, this year the window is zero. Well, well yeah, I guess, so yes, but this is... It's almost a kind of a, I, I'd say it's a more confident, you know, that foggy story of, oh, I don't know, Eternals in November might go day and date, whereas... Whereas I think Warners are almost making the opposite type of statement. Uh, they're saying no, every every movie next year will definitely have a forty-five. Yeah, but that, so this is, but this is two years after the pandemic, right? So or, or after the the outbreak of the pandemic, so this is what they've agreed to to do next year. Where you know, I'm, I'm sure they're hoping and the expectation is that 2022 is as close to back to normal as we get. And, and 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 I yeah I agree I agree with you that for, for Warner Brothers movies that is a big step up from being day and date. Um, but there are, there are, there are you know lots of other studios that have released just to theaters and the windows have been you know they've had to agree smaller windows with um, with the platforms in uh, sorry with with the theaters during the pandemic. And I kind of feel like 45 days feels like about as long as it will ever get again. Yeah. I, I, just, yeah, so I, just, the point... I just can't see it coming back. And I'm not sure if you guys, uh, I remember hearing um, Steven Soderbergh talk about this. And Reese, I know you're a Soderbergh stan. Um, I think <laughs> he was talking about it around the release of Logan Lucky. 
Or, or I think the movie after Logan Lucky, uh, when he maybe it was for High Flying Bird when he turned up on Netflix. But he was kind of saying, like, when I, I, I released Logan Lucky and I had high hopes for it, and within, you know, a day of box office numbers, I knew that this thing had tanked. And I knew that this thing was not going to do the numbers that I wanted it to do, that the studio wanted it to do, that, you know, anyone who was in fi- financially invested did. And he's like, and ideally, I would live in a world where I could then go, okay, week two, I'm pulling this from cinemas because it's not making money. It's going, it's going up online, and you can rent it for nine ninety nine tomorrow. And then, mm. if that's not working, I can say, okay, it's five dollars next week, or I can sell it to Netflix or whatever. And that that you know that we can have that level of flexibility. And you can see some of that now, and that's and that's mm. why I kind of think like. I do think that for some films, it's going to be, I think this is going to be really freeing, probably, that, you know, those movies that do tank or those independent movies that maybe, you know, hoping hope to expand wider and never really do, that they can go, okay, movie, do you want to, do you want to have our movie next weekend? You can drop it on your service where we know there's an engaged audience uh, because people aren't coming out to theatres for it. But for these and big, so, but for these big movies, it's a completely different, completely different proposition. I think. And this is kind of the point I was going to make, which is that how many of us realistically have ever gone to see a film forty-five days after its release date? Like, if <laughs> if you want to see a film in the cinema, you tend to go. Yeah, but that's not weeks one to three. But that's not the reason. So, James, I guess the reason is right. Okay, it's it's the third weekend of release, right? It's, mm-hmm. uh, so say it's, uh, yeah, say it's the Suicide Squad, right? It's the third weekend of release. And you can already see ads saying, yeah. uh, okay, this, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. this you are going to be able to stream this in four weeks' time. Yeah, yeah but is this is my point. Is there any film where you've gone, oh, if I don't go now, it's going to be another four months until I can see it? Yes, yeah, in the past. Yeah, in, really? the past, in, really? the past so. in the past, when windows were wider, yes. And especially then, because, you know, in the past, where say there's a big movie that comes out, and I, I don't know, so like 10 years ago, right, it's The Avengers. So I go, mm-hmm. all right, I want to go see The Avengers. And say, or, or like, or, or, uh, let's, say, let's throw one out there that I'm a bit more ambivalent about. Say it's Man of Steel, right? And so I can go, okay, I can see Man of Steel in cinemas. Do I want to? And I'm on an Nanar in. And uh, well, I go, well, if I don't, when will I see it? Well in uh, 90, 120 days, whatever the previous window was for that. So in four months' time, it might show up on Blu-ray and DVD. Okay. And then three or four months after that, it might show up on Sky Movies. And then maybe a year after that, it will be the network premiere on ITV1 Uh at Christmas. Um, Then... Yeah, I, I I might go, do you know what? I'll just pay to watch it in cinemas now. Whereas the difference I is, mean, if I, I know literally <laughs> in seven weeks' time, I can rent it for the same price that I would pay to watch it in cinemas on my yep. computer, or, or and especially now on my TV, on my big screen TV in my living room, then, yeah, I think that's, that's going to have an impact, especially for a generation that are less accustomed to going to theatres and coming out of a pandemic, less accustomed to going to theatres than, yeah. than we ever were. Like, I don't know if I'm just an outlier or if you guys are, but I like if I want to see a film at a cinema, no amount of 
oh, it'll be out soon on video on demand or whatever, is going to stop me wanting to go to the cinema. And likewise... No, but it's softer. Because no, uh, what Joe just described would happen subconsciously. You wouldn't actually kind of go through that in your brain. But you just, you you know, going forward, there'll just be that awareness that, that movies and cinemas aren't that far away and it'll be a subconscious thing. And, and, and I, you know, I've, I've worked in cinemas now for almost a decade. Uh, so not to, you know, humble brag, but um, <laughs> that's the, the model is it's an exclusivity model and it's, it's sort of as simple as that. So once you've, once you, you know, you're not taking away that the exclusivity, but you are, you are greatly diminishing it, I would say. Yeah. And probably what this ends up is, is, is way fewer cinemas around in 10 years. And I know people have been prosthetizing the death of cinemas for a decade, fine, but that's surely what this means. And then I think from that, you know, maybe you can't have movies at the scale of the absolute huge blockbuster movies that we've become accustomed to uh, because they, they cannot make that money back um, from kind of corporate interests and streaming services, whether all those, whether all the streaming services that, that exist now even continue to exist, right? Because I, I would also argue that that some of these that there that there will be streaming services that fall yes. in the coming years. Yeah. So so uh, but, and then but then at that point, let's say you've got let's say you've got Peacock and you've got all the uni- Universal films that have gone to Peacock and Peacock Peacock essentially collapses and 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 then all of a sudden oh okay no it's okay we're universal we'll, we'll, now we'll do fast the furious 20 we'll, we'll we'll bring that back to cinemas oh what there are there are two-thirds of the cinemas now that, w- that were around five years ago when we launched peacock and we we just cannot make enough money anymore or, or we've 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 changed audience habits too much oh okay well then we we just can't make 200 million dollars movies anymore and that's i'm not saying i mean i'm whether that's good whether that's bad maybe that's your that's your personal view as a as a listener but that feels to me what the the the, the, the snowball that's rolling. Uh, it's interesting. It's interesting that you put it in those terms because it reminds me of the sort of comic shop argument when, like, a lot of people will have it that the reason the comics industry became so niche was because like you stopped being able to buy comics on newsstands and you could only go in, into comic shops to buy them and you know, then the comic stops started closing and now you'll never sell as many comics as you could. And then, you know, they put it up day, day and date digital and that meant people weren't going to shops at all. And you say, you know, what happens if comiXology collapses because of, for example, Substack? Like, uh, or do people just go straight to Marvel Unlimited? Like, is there a world where Marvel just put all their comics up for free every week if you're subscribing? I think the... I think- like, it's, it's interesting. I think it's interesting how much of the conversation around these media, like around these forms of art are being driven by what's the distribution method. And I think, I I think the big difference with, with movies though, is that, you know, uh, comics probably broadly all cost in a, you know, a, a similar, you know, within, within a range, but a similar amount to make. Whereas you, you know, you've not got the, hundred thousand dollar movie and the 200 million yeah movie. it's that, purely the talent yeah yeah, yeah rather and, than the method of yeah and, and i think that what reese was talking about about exclusivity that probably changes to experience you know like mm-hmm. um i think why a lot of people in this country were gutted when the green knight got pulled from cinemas a couple of days were released is because it sounded like that will probably now be a screaming a streaming exclusive and Mm-hmm. 
You know, that's that is a film that I would want to watch in cinemas. Now, for a lot of people, I don't care. But you know, like um, when Roma came out on Netflix, and Netflix released that on a few, you know select screens around London, that was a hot ticket for the people that cared about that kind of thing because Roma was a gorgeous movie that people wanted to see on a cinema screen. And it didn't, you know, didn't matter that they could stream it in 4K on Netflix on their 80-inch TV in their living room, right? They'd still want to see it on the big screen. So I think we probably see a change from an exclusivity model to a experiential model for cinemas, so, yeah, which, which, which becomes, yeah, as you said, Reese, it becomes really interesting for those $200 million movies. And can the studios and do the studios even want to convince people to see them on the big screen anymore? People didn't what people didn't go to see Avengers Endgame because of the experience of watching it in a cinema. They wanted to they went to see it because they had to see it and cinemas were the only place they could see it. But what, uh, what, what do, you, that, do you think that would have felt like a big deal if Avengers Endgame had dropped at midnight on Disney Plus? Would it have felt like this global event? Would it have generated the same kind of buzz? Um, I think if that had happened, a lot of people would have stayed up at midnight to watch it. I know I would have. Yeah, no, I, w- I would have as well. But would it? Would it? Would it have been the same? Would it have? You know, would it? Would it have made as much money? That, would people rush to see it at midnight if they knew they could also see it at one o'clock or two o'clock or three right, o'clock or the day after or the week it, after? Let's compare that to like the Game of Thrones finale, which is which is one of the biggest biggest te- te- television events, you know, of our of you know of recent memory huge huge thing everyone stayed up you know great great experience but you know if you paid for hbo max or sky in this country that was a free experience you aren't paying extra to see those things uh and so that's that's the difference and you and i wonder whether you could have gotten people to go to a cinema to pay or not just people you know thousands of people across the world to to pay 20 pounds to watch the game of thrones finale which is what which is kind of what avengers endgame was uh, <laughs> you probably could, you know, you, you, I'm just saying you couldn't have made that money. You know, you are, yeah. you're, you are getting people sort of in, and we are, we, we are feeding that you're getting people crazy for crazy invested in this stuff, in the superior stuff. So they pay probably, uh, in modern, in modern t- t- sort of in modern media terms, they're paying like a weirdly lot, a lot of money for a single sort of viewing of something, a single experience of something, mm. but, but that's all about it's the excitement it's the it's the energy it's the and it's the exclusivity and once that's gone maybe you know it's a house of cards maybe yeah and i, and I guess the other difference right will that we we obviously have to take into account as well is um do disney need as many people to see avengers endgame um if it's <laughs> if they're straight. taking a bigger slice if, of the, if they're uh, taking yeah. if they are taking all of the slice rather than sharing mm. it and having to dispute it to theatres and that, you know, they, uh, and yeah, it, it, it becomes a different financial model. And that's why I think Bob Chapek talking about data points while <laughs> if I'm Simu Liu, I'm annoyed. <laughs> I think that's absolutely for these studios, what every release is now and will be for the next, at least next 12 to 18 months. Um, okay, so that's all of the COVID-related pandemic news. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so that's one news story and one uh, comics explainer, and we've been recording for one hour. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we are going to absolutely zip through the rest of the stuff and get to the Suicide Squad. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing this name correctly. Uh, Zolo Mariduena. 
confirmed that he will star in The Blue Beetle. So he'll play Jamie Reyes in Blue Beetle, which is a... Jamie Reyes. Oh, sorry, James. I was old. <laughs> I was so worried about pronouncing the actor's, the actor's name right. Name right. <laughs> um, so this is a HBO Max um, slash Warner Brothers movie. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Who knows where you'll, where you'll be watching <laughs> this. Um I guess this is a big deal as a, a Latin American superhero. Um, Zolo Majorena is, uh, if you watch Cobra Kai, he's the kind of, the, I guess, the, the kid lead on Cobra Kai. Um, yeah. I think he's my favorite part about the young cast of that show um, and, and and is on my, you know, on the side of the show I find more interesting. And also I'm going to say this, He's a little cutie. He's, yeah, I think he's the best. I think he's, uh, yep. I think he's great. And I would absolutely watch him as a superhero. Um, I don't know Blue Beetle's vibe that much, but he feels like a guy that could do a, uh, like Peter Parker-y kind of superhero based on what, uh, was, based uh, on what he's doing say. on Cobra Kai. Yeah. The um the Blue Beetle comic that starred Jaime Reyes was frequently called by Seb as the best Spider Man book Marvel isn't publishing. <laughs> well, there we go then. Yeah, I, I think he. Yeah, I think it's I think great. He'll be fantastic. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. I think. I think that's great. We can. We can look forward to seeing that because now I think you know, that rather than the default being they'll never make that, I think the default is yeah they'll make that. Um, and it'll turn up on it, it'll turn up on a platform. It just remains to be seen whether people will watch it. Um, but yeah, um, I, I liked that piece of casting. Um, interesting little nugget for the Batgirl movie, which is that uh, J.K. Simmons and not um, and not Jeffrey Wright is expected to play Commissioner Gordon in that movie, uh, who's obviously Barbara Gordon's dad. Uh, so, which kind of implies that the Batgirl movie is in the DCEU rather than in the continuity of the Robert Pattinson Batman. Um, I, I, who knows? Um, I'm surprised that J.K. Simmons is still doing um, DC stuff, but I guess if, his, if he's contracted for X amount of movies and they've gone, all right, come on. But I, I also re- I also feel like I read today, or maybe it was a tweet, so I didn't put it in in this new stuff. But that he's uh, he's half confirmed for for Venom two. So we're definitely in a we're in a J.K. Simmons moment of you know in there as in he's in it's him and Michael Keaton right that are that feel like they might be quite active in both in both universes yeah. for the for the foreseeable. I wonder I wonder <laughs> if it's significant that they're appearing in Sony movies rather than Marvel ones. Uh you mean Simmons in the in Venom? Yeah. You mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean yes. Yeah, I mean I I think oh, I forget yeah, I forget what is this casting is this casting that Sony would do more than is this casting that Marvel would do is what I mean. Well, I, yeah, I think Marvel wouldn't, I think Marvel would, would love to be casting the Venom movie or be involved, but uh, not at all. So I think Sony just, no, I mean, and... what I mean is would Marvel hire JK Simmons given that he's so prominent in the DC. Well, yeah, they already films. did. For... 
but yeah, they did for they did for Far From Home. They, he's in the Spider Man. Well, no, 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 no. It was Sony. That's my point. It no, no, Sony but they, but they have they have creative input. They produced that. Those. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that they could have said no to that, but they couldn't have said no to yes, yeah. Mm, um, okay, so that is the comic book movie and TV news for this week. Uh, we... <laughs> We're not even going to talk about Venom's release date moving, are we? Uh, so it's only a few weeks. Yeah, a few know. weeks. And, <laughs> and, and have they? I, didn't think it was rough, but yeah. I don't think they've even confirmed whether it's moving globally, right? I don't. I don't think we know if the UK release date has changed yet. No, that's no. Fair. But James, by all means, talk about the Venom <laughs> release date moving. <laughs> I just think it's interesting, is all. Uh, why because <laughs> is it is it a covid thing is it because they've got more confidence in venom 2 than they did in venom 1 have they gone no actually this is a bigger movie than we thought it was or have they gone we need a couple more weeks otherwise it's going to flop i don't know well it, 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 it just <laughs> I t- well, I tell you what, it does distance because i think that it's moved from uh it's moved from september to october what's the bit? yeah what october the, the 15th now is okay in the uh, in the say, in the US. I was going to say they moved it because of Bond, but actually they that's the opposite because they would have moved it closer to Bond. Have they moved Bond it because is. of Shang Chi? Uh, it's a bit too far, isn't it? To be because yeah. Shang Chi's September third, Bond is September thirtieth, and now Venom is October fifteenth. You say, Joe? Yep. Yeah, but it would have been the week before Bond, I guess. So I guess it kind of moves it a week, or it moves it one week extra from Bond. So it was going to be a week before Bond and now it's going to be two weeks after Bond. So that, I guess that, that shows confidence. It still Maybe? officially has a, a 15th of September release date in the UK as of, as of time of recording. Yeah. Now that is well, the end. There goes. Rock to about Finn Jones and the Iron Fist stunt coordinator? No, I've, I've no. cut that story from the podcast. <laughs> um, listeners, we are going to be talking um, about The Suicide Squad. We're going to be giving you a spoiler-filled review of that movie. So take a listen to the trailer and we'll be back with all of the spoilers uh, straight after that. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Robert Dubois. He's in prison for putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. I'm not joining your suicide squad. We'll see. My court date is coming up. And Miss Waller said maybe you could help me out. You're stretching in my door! Everyone stand down. Miss Waller, I don't... Stand down! I wouldn't take such extreme measures if this mission weren't more important than you could possibly imagine. Are you in or out? Good. Let's meet your team. It's okay, I'm not okay. Each member is chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. I need to feel the raindrops on my head, on my head. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. Had to go number two. Good to know. Is this thing a dog? A dog? What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I'm gonna go with Afghan hound. Oh my god, is it a werewolf? Yo, they sent me next to a werewolf! Yo, let me out! He's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know. Your mission is to destroy every trace of something known only as Project Starfish. Any questions? Starfish is a slang term for a butthole. Think there's any connection? No. No. All right. Let's get it. This is suicide. Well, that's kind of our thing. I'm a superhero! That's my dad. When they get you out of your life. I'm going to get you out of here alone. Ratatouille, what do you got? Bird. <laughs> now, now it. Stay off the comp. Okay, the Suicide Squad. Um, James Gunn's, uh, written and directed by James Gunn, his sequel, um, and I think this is in canon with, or in continuity with, mm-hmm. the first Suicide Squad movie from David Ayer, um, who had a totally chill tweet about it. Um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the Suicide Squad are back, um, loosely. Some of the characters are back. We've got Harley Quinn back. We've got Deadshot back. He's just got a different name now, and he's played by Idris Elba. Uh, <laughs> we've got Rick Flagg. We've got Amanda Waller. We've got, um, I guess, Captain Boomerang. Is that is that everyone? Is that, is that all of the returning players? All your faves. All your faves. Yeah. 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 Um, 
and uh, and, and and yeah, it's I, I would say a weirdly kind of a, a, a darker movie in terms of content than the first one was. Um, you know, a lot kind of weirdly more grounded in the you know like this is weirdly more grounded than the fucking enchantress but also just tonally a million miles away from what david ayer's movie did um and reese i'd like to start with you what did you think of the film because i've 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 got i haven't talked to you about this at all uh how did you find the suicide squad loved it um took a while to get there i think i probably wasn't as i think maybe gun uh thinks in his head that people are in from the the bit on the beach where all the guys die and everyone's like oh my god this is so subversive i'm so in um <laughs> I, I think i kind of wasn't i probably wasn't in for the for that subversive stuff because I, because it, it kind of it, it sort of doesn't really play out for the rest of the film like that but i was in for all of the stuff that i guess i really like about guardians one um, that I think he whiffs in Guardians 2, which is just the the sort of simple character-based emotional connections between between misfits. That's it's it's a bit of an age-old uh, you know structure, not age-old, but it's you know it's a it's a it's not a revolutionary structure. Hey, you take all these you take all these sort of strangers who don't seem like they're going to get along, and then by the end of the movie, gosh darn it, they do, and they and they do a good thing with it, but but. But also, kind of, gosh darn it, it's uh, it works, and and Gunn is, you know, he 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 he's, he's he completely delivers on on that, and it works. I mean, I think it works just as well as Guardians One, you know, perhaps perhaps even a little better because you know because you're watching it with the context of that movie, and the fact that it works as well with that in in mind maybe means objectively, if that's even a, a stupid, stupid word to use, but it might even be a better sort of. Um, a better execution of that than Guardians One, which was already great. So yeah, I kind of loved it. There's, you know, there's. I didn't really get the, the Harley Quinn chunk in that in the middle, that romance bit. I sort of <laughs> just really felt disconnected at that in that sequence. Um, and I and again, I thought there's some early stuff, you know, like when they when Peacemaker and and uh, wait, what's his name? What's Idris Elba's what's what's Elba's character's name? <laughs> Blood, dead shot, dead shot. Blood sports, blood sport. <laughs> Sorry, when they like when they take that village, I thought it was like a bit gratuitous, to be honest. But 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 actually, by the end, I thought, oh, this is maybe my favorite Idris Elba, Elba movie performance. Full stop. Uh, and 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 yeah, just was felt really emotionally invested by the end. And and you know, movies are. I think movies. I generally kind of agree to the or. or I adhere to the, you know, movies should build and, and be what they are, but only really only at the end. It's okay for for a film to be making some kind of an argument that you don't even understand is being made, and then at the end, it all comes together. And uh, and and I think it is it is more than the sum of its parts, and it all comes together in that last <laughs> forty minutes. Uh, and I yeah, really I really dug it. Yeah. Oh dear. Go <laughs> oh. on, James. Okay. Oh dear. I mean, so I I didn't hate it. I had a good time. I thought it was pretty, you know, pretty fun all the way through. Um, I did come out of it thinking, oh, this film really makes me understand what Kevin Feige adds to the Marvel Universe because 
this feels to me like it's trying to do the same type of story that Guardians did, but, you know, stripped of Kevin Feige's influence, it comes across as nihilistic and devoid of sentimentality and just fails to to hit the sort of emotional beats that it wants to alongside the sheer bleakness that it expects you'd find funny. Um, I thought the Harley Quinn bit was actually the only part of the movie where they really, <laughs> they really nailed something that wasn't, wasn't straight up cliche. Like it was, um, you know, it, it was the subversion of this romantic leads damsel in distress trope where she just sorts everything out herself and they come to save her and they're like, Oh, you've done it anyway. And like the idea that because she's attractive, she is desirable. And in fact, she is just criminally insane. Like I thought it was really funny. Um, no, but, uh, if I was, if I was going to retain any part of the entire movie, it would be that sequence in the middle. Okay. Brief, maybe before Joe, just briefly on that sequence. For me, the issue is that it's obvious from the, from the off that this is, this is going to end with some subversion. And maybe I couldn't have told you what it was, but th- th- this is Harley Quinn. So this, so this isn't going to be a real thing, and then and then oh, it wasn't a real thing. So yeah, so but I, I, I found that way. Before. I found that way about every sequence. Like when they were storming the village at the start, I was going, "These guys aren't resisting at all. They're the good guys." <laughs> and then they play it like, "Oh shit, we just killed all the freedom fighters." I'm like, "Well, yeah, but they were just hanging around washing their clothes. Like you didn't fight them at all. You just murdered them." <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't like that sequence either. <laughs> no, I think. I think. I think it was aiming a bit too high for what it achieved. Um, like I said, I didn't hate it. I had a very good time. Um, I just, I didn't feel like it was making a solid argument for uh, its own existence. It was just like James Gunn's been given a bunch of action figures and he's going to break them and then peace out at the end. Joe? Okay, so I, I need to um, admit something before I give you any of the context on my thoughts on the movie. Um, you have seen the film, right? You've seen the film. <laughs> yeah, but... That would be so great if he, if he now if he goes, oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> I, just re- I just re-watched the first one. Is that okay? I, I, I did a double bill of Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy. I think I get the gist. Um, no, so I, I walked into the cinema with my ticket uh, that I then, as I was walking in, looked down at and realised it said that the film starts at 12.20, not 12.50. Um so oh. I was half an hour late, <laughs> and luckily because which I, meant what you missed you missed three minutes of the movie then did you? <laughs> um, I walked in as um, King Shark was trying to eat rat catcher, um, oh, and so wow. th- and so okay. then had to uh, finish watching. You missed a load of stuff. I Whoa, I, f- wow. I finished watching the movie and then. Um, explained my predicament to the very kind cinema staff who allowed uh, who allowed me to sit through the first half hour of another screening. That's, great. That's so funny. <laughs> and, I, and, and, I, and so because of that, I kind of I found myself in a really difficult position where I was just like, I'm like, am I really struggling with the tone of this movie because I just wasn't introduced to it in the, in the right way that I've been flung into it half an hour in and I'm trying to catch up. Um, and, but I, I, I kind of, and I don't, I still don't know. I still don't know whether that like fundamentally colored my experience and I never recovered from it. All I know is I 
found this to be like undeniably James Gunn executing what he wanted to do um, and executing it, you know, executing his vision how he how, how he wanted to. It felt like he'd been given complete, complete carte blanche that he was doing whatever he wanted to do and what he wanted to do was make a trauma movie with a $200 million budget. <laughs> and... I kind of feel like there's a reason why trauma movies don't have $200 million budgets. And I just, I found this, what is that? I, I found it, I just, I found it relentlessly bleak. I found the, the, the death and the vibe, like, you know how some people really have a problem with the Jay and the American sequence in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where Yondu just whistles dead all of the ravages. And it's like, you know, jaunty music plays out as all of as all of them are just mercilessly murdered, um, and that sequence didn't really bother me when I was watching it at the time. But I felt like this for the duration of the movie that I just thought it was <laughs> it was that like it was that the amount of death and violence was so wantonly bleak, and that that kind of does play into the movie's message, which is you know that. Uh, you know, it's it's painting Americans as the villains and, you know, uh, recording this the week that um, Afghanistan yeah. fell to the Taliban feels uh, relevant, that, um, you, you know, American fo- foreign policy has fucked over the rest of the world. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, speaking as a Brit here, that we, we can d- damn sure make some parallels. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, like shitty Western government uh, causing horrible problems and and then just kind of like just trying to absolve themselves of blame rather than really try and fix the situation. I get all of that, but I did just find it so so bleak, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't have that much fun with it with because like with every head that got ripped off or every person that got blown up and, and and i couldn't and you know again maybe this is what gun was going for with it's a suicide squad movie but i couldn't distinguish the villains from the heroes like and, and uh, it just felt like it was a movie full of bad people all killing each other and you know like the the, the that that sequence with the guy who joins the team and harley quinn keeps forgetting his name and he's just kind of randomly there for a show slow motion action shot and then Polka Dot Man is devastated when he's killed and everyone else is like, ah, who cares? Another guy's dead. And I kind of, yeah, I, I, I just found it so, so bleak that I couldn't, I couldn't get on with it. Now there is stuff that I think really works in the movie. And I, I, this, this is not me saying it's a bad movie. It's just me saying I, I couldn't your response to it. I, yeah, I couldn't. I, I just found myself sat there going like every time someone else died, just sinking a little bit further into my seat. And so, you know, I sunk really far <laughs> during this because I just, there are very few films I've seen with this much death. I just watched, I watched a different film to you guys. Are you sure that you watched the suicide squad 2021? That, <laughs> did you look at the film that played? You watched the same. I just, yeah, I, 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 I really, I almost didn't feel any of what you're describing. But you know, so what you're and you got and you, you're saying you felt it strongly. I didn't feel it at all. But what you're saying uh, that you felt during the scene where they kill the people in the camp. Yeah, that's that's uh, kind of what I yeah. felt for the entire running time. 
Yeah. And again, I'm yeah. not I'm not saying it's bad because I do think, you know, I, I do think there are funny bits and I think there are good performances. Um But it's weird, I I feel that like when I when I watch the John Wick movies, for instance, which I don't like as much as the consensus is, I I I find them a bit gone porny, I think. Uh-huh. Or or or, or mm-hmm. recently on, on this show we what was it? What wanted, right? That was the Yeah. We uh, it was me who brought up the kind of this gun porn and, and the glorification of violence so for, for that and so it's not like i'm not i'm not exactly this sort of this sort of blood bloodlust you know sort of <laughs> diving around in sprays of like trevi fountain blood you know running through the streets like i i have expressed that that view on this podcast in recent times and but yeah, I, I just, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't get that from this movie. So the, the the difference I always have with a with a John Wick or a Bond type of movie is these are all those are all people who are involved in that world, you know, who have decided to be involved in the world of assassins and and guns and violence, and they're kind of signed up for that. Um, I, I think this movie has you know swathes of innocent people, and. And and also, I th- and I think this is the crucial thing for me is, we like it would be like after every bloody kill shot, John Wick turns to the camera and goes, ha! "Great, <laughs> <laughs> funny, right?" Yeah, but in, okay, okay, but let me push. Let me push against that a bit. He doesn't need to say those words for the film to glorify that violence, which no. I think those. I think the John Wick movies really do the way. Like the 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 sequences are shot, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of style, you know, obviously very stylistically. Whereas, you know, I, I think about the and I, what you guys will say is well, but yeah, but that isn't in the rest of the movie. I think about the Peacemaker and um, Rick Flag fight sequence towards the end of the film, which is like really brutal and really makes you feel the the violence that they're doing to each other. That is not you don't. I just don't think that sequence glorifies that violence it makes you feel that violence um you know and then there are there are strange moments you know there and then there are then there's the harley quinn moments that are it's doing that's doing something different too you know so there's the stuff with the 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 car you know there's there's her big action sequence which is not the which is not the romance sequence kind of happens a little bit after where you have these cartoon elements, these kind of Mary Poppins elements come into play, or or at the end when she you know she puts the javelin into Starro's eye, and they're these kind of oddly surreal kind of I, I I you know I'm not even sure I know what James Gunn is kind of doing with that, but or I don't think he's doing is glorifying those acts of violence. I don't think I think he's what doing think something he's, else. What uh, I think he's I doing with true. those with those sequences specifically is that he's. He's portraying the action from her perspective, so yes, like that's yes. that's why it goes all cartoonish and fun at those points is because that's that's her mind at work, and like personally, I do enjoy like violence porn to a point. <laughs> like I, for years, Battle Royale was one of my favorite films, and I think most of that is just about like how senselessly can these kids kill each other. But it's done in a way that is fun and satirical and has a point to make. Whereas I felt like a lot of what Suicide Squad was doing was just like hammering home the bleakness and fragility of life. Like all these characters were just getting torn to bits in the most sort of graphic and 
you know shocking way that I, we could manage i do i do and it gets a bit much i do think that it does do what you just said about about battle royale though and because again, I really need to make this clear. I'm in no way saying this is a bad movie, and I think that there is a or, or I think yeah, it's I think movie. I think we're all broadly positive on the movie, right? I think like, I think I could sit a very I think I could have sat down maybe on a different day or at a different point in my life and experienced this completely differently. Like I said, I just on the day or watched found, it in, watched it in watched it in the right order. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I, I just found it really tough because, like, I do think it it, it does. It does have a point to make and it, it does have something that it wants to say. And I think that James Gunn is, as he's done in lots of his movies, he's using horror and gore and violence as a source of humour. And that is not, that's not, you know, that's not something that I am instinctively against. I think, you know, um, you know, I'm thinking to when he's done it in a, in a, in a bunch of movies previously and stuff like, I don't know, like, I think slivers and absolute who, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, 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 and, and I think there probably is something to kind of like the equal opportunities of that, of that like horrific violence that it, it happens to the superhero or the, you know, it happens to the super villains, I guess it happens to the, um, to the freedom fighters. It happens to the villains. It happens to the residents of quarter multi, like it happens to everyone. Um, yeah, like there isn't really any dividing line in terms of who, <laughs> maybe that's who deserves it. It just comes for everyone. But that's what I thought yeah, was maybe that's bleak. the problem. <laughs> that's what I thought was bleak. <laughs> yeah, and 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 there were just like and and the whiplash between moments of, as you said, Reese, like moments of violence played as comedy, um, like you know. King's shark ripping someone's head off and then kind of like just carrying their like just carrying their head around and chewing it as chum um, to like yeah a brutal fight between two characters where the the actual you know the 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 you know every blow is supposed to be felt or then um, you know the like the the actual you know just innocent people who live in that country being. Uh, being killed or then that mo- you know when you find all of the kind of like the victims of the thinker slash Starro who have all been like uh, experimented on and kept alive and and it's just uh, like I, I found it like truly truly um, like and I think that's what James James Gunn wants you to find that really unpleasant he wants you to find that uncomfortable uh, because that's the moment that he wants to be hammering home that actually the US government and, you know, the face of that in, that, in this movie is Amanda Waller. He, he's like, like the real villain of this movie is Amanda Waller. Um, sit up and take notice. But all of those things altogether, I just couldn't, I couldn't process it. And it, um, what, it all, what it became was just a wave of, oh my God, <laughs> I can't handle this. <laughs> and I hadn't seen Pete Davidson killed in the first five minutes, so I didn't have that to, you know, look back on fondly. I think it's funny you say, you know, this sort of thing where you you can't find the tone, you miss the first bit, you watch the first movie. I think there is a scene earlier that you didn't see first time around that, for me, I think once that scene was over, I felt like I got the tone of the movie. And Idris Elba's kid? Talking to the daughter, yes, that's the scene. So, so it's that's so interesting because I, from that point, 
from that moment, I was like, oh, okay. I thought that this was going to go in a in a more sentimental direction, this conversation. But actually, it ends with him like screaming curse words at her at, at, at what she's like fourteen or something, and like, oh, okay, that's what that's what this movie is establishing. And then I think that that's kind of a, that's a big deal that you then you watch the rest of the film without without some of that establishing stuff. I think that's mm. that is that is that is. I, you know, that's interesting. That's 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 a big piece. That's a big, especially of that character. Because I, I don't know about you guys. I thought I Idris Elba was a was a bigger part of this film than I was expecting. Uh, you know, he's he's properly like he is the protagonist. He's the lead. Yeah, he's, he's the, the protagonist. The, he's the lead. And the, the and lead I, yeah. I kind of wasn't. I kind of wasn't expecting that. I was thinking, okay, you know, they've just subbed him in for Will Smith, uh, who was a bigger star, who is a bigger star, and Harley Quinn is. You know, she's that she'll be if not the lead, she'll be it'll be a proper ensemble. She'll be the comedy relief. The others will kind of you know the others will fit their roles but like it kind of feels like idris elba's movie um yeah and i think uh, and I think again I think, right. he, I think he delivers i think it's the best performance he's he's given in a film i, 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 I know that sounds I think, crazy i think, I think, I think, I think you're right that this is one of his best best like appearances i just think he was having great fun and delivering a performance that matched every yes. beat that it needed to like yes. i think of, of everyone in the movie he's the one that feels most at home in it should we yeah, um, yeah, should we should we go should we go through it chronologically? Should we? Because um, I, I think this is a movie that we that we probably can, and we definitely do need to talk about that opening sequence. <laughs> so yeah, I, I thought um, when I eventually got around to seeing it, I thought <laughs> I thought this was a really interesting way to get into the movie. So we start it with um, with Michael Rucker's um, savant. Uh, and he is in a jail cell. Is it a Bell Reeve? Is it? Is that how you pronounce it? Bell Reeve. Yeah. Bell Reeve. So, so I, 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 sorry, just to jump in briefly, I should give a little Joe type story. I got also got to my screening a bit late, <laughs> and so I. What the hell is wrong with you guys? <laughs> I've only actually seen it from when they were in the plane uh, and then they, they kind of, then they go from the plane. So I'm pretty sure that was very close to the beginning. Yeah, you, so I, I I'm the only one who has seen the movie in order <laughs> from the start. I should say I missed the very beginning. I did. I did see the whole thing. Um, and I should point out, I miss, I, I turned up at my screening <sighs> with a solid five to 10 minutes spare before it started. It just so happens that that was, <laughs> they actually started half an hour before I thought it was going to start. <laughs> so I missed like 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. And I was I was catching a hair across at the time, so it was it was it was important. Um, so just t- so tell me what happens at the very beginning of the movie, please. I don't know. Well, I caught the hair across. Great. And then I went <laughs> I walked down the road to the cinema. Um, so uh, we're in a in a jail cell at Bel Rev, and Michael Rucker's savant is throwing a ball around, and it and it and uh, killing some birds. Um, and it has a it, it feels and looks like the first Suicide Squad movie. Like here is our first big spotlight character introduction. Uh, he, he, you know, we're gonna we're gonna uh, do a needle drop. Here's this character. Let's bring his stats up on the screen. Not quite, but it does feel like right. Okay, Savant. He's our first guy. And you know, if we're starting with Michael Rucker's Savant, I guess the feel is probably we're gonna do this for everyone. And then uh, Savant is kind of, you know, um, is uh, brought in and, you know, explained, you know, we need you to 
we need you to go and do this uh, to do this mission. Here is a quick explainer of the thing in the back of your neck, uh, the bomb in the back of your neck that can go off. And yeah, we're going to need you to go to Corsa Maltese and a little bit of explanation of, you know, what's going on. Um, and he's like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Um, and then, yeah, and then we, and then we get to the plane and we meet the... <gasps> I've seen this bit. Yeah, so we meet the rest of the team. This is a good bit. So we we meet Nathan Fillion as TDK, the detachable kid. Um, his power is that his limbs detach. Um, I thought this was funny. Um, we get we get Sean Gunn's weasel, who uh, is a is a is a big ass creepy weasel. Uh, <laughs> as soon as Weasel turned up, I was like, "That's definitely Sean Gunn." Yeah. <laughs> I could just tell from the way he was carrying himself. This guy's big Sean Gunn energy. <laughs> We've got Flulaborg as Javelin, uh, a guy a guy with a javelin. Uh, we've got Mailing Ung as Mongol, uh, who is described on Wikipedia as an alien mass murderer. Um, and we've got Pete Davidson's Black Guard, who I guess is just a mercenary. We've got Jai Courtney returning as Captain Boomerang. Um, and I think that's the entire set. Oh, and Rick, and Rick Flagg is with this group. Uh, so Rick, Rick... Harley Quinn's there as well. Oh, yes, and Harley Quinn. So Rick Flagg and Harley Quinn are... Le- uh, well, Rick Flagg's leading this guy into battle. Harley Quinn is kind of explained away, away very quickly for, like continuity purposes that she was you know she was just arrested again and that's that, that <laughs> that's fine don't worry about it she's back in the suicide squad <laughs> um and so they uh, attack a beach except we find out really quickly that pete davidson's blackguard has sold them out to the uh to the local government uh to, who who have just overseen a coup on corto maltese and they all get uh, very brutally, explicitly murdered in this opening sequence. Um, and um, James Gunn has a lot of fun with that. I guess the first death kind of death that we, we find out is not real death is that Weasel can't swim, so he just drowns. And then the rest of them get to the beach and all get blown up. Harley Quinn manages to hide and Rick Flag manages to get away, but the rest of them... Uh, they're all dead. How did, how did, uh, you know, I, I didn't, sometimes I read, I read what happens in films before I watch them, which is bad, but I, I no no regrets. <laughs> Hashtag. But I did, I did watch this bit because again, I've, I've stated this movie I like more than you guys, but, but I also, this sequence, this early sequence, I kind of thought that Gunn was thinking he was being more subversive than I was viewing it. What, what, what I, did you both I, also, I definitely turned to my girlfriend and said, there's no way anyone's making it out of the sequence alive it's except so, for it's, those two. It's, just, it's it feels so, so obvious, difficult you know? yeah. to do this though. And I, I, I have sympathy with what James Gunn is, is going for mm-hmm. and what he's trying to do. And you look at, okay, we've got Harley Quinn and Rip Flag there who you know are kind of like big characters from the first movie. You've got another guy coming back. You've got Pete Davidson, Nathan Fillion. So, you know, the, these are like, uh, you, you've got Weasel, who's actually been a, a, a decent part of the advertising. Um, but it's it's really difficult to try and sell this when you have to release trailers for a movie because as soon as you see that all of these people turning up on the beach that there isn't an Idris Elba and that there isn't a King Shark. And, and it's, 
No. It's tr- it's it's just really tricky to to try and land well, also, what's happening here with the concept of the film being the Suicide Squad, where they've all got yeah. I was gonna bombs I was gonna say there. for me, it's it's less who's there and more that there's a fi- it's a film called Suicide Squad and it's James Gunn. He's just not going to be able to resist killing a whole bunch of people straight up. I think it's it's much better I, I know, executed the than the first. Uh, who, who do they do it? It's Slipknot in the first movie. Slipknot. It's a much Is better it? executed version than that. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I think yeah. the Slipknot death when it happens in the first one. It's so it's so stupid. He's the only uh, character, like, he's the only character there fault. that hasn't had a title card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's just that one made me laugh because it was so unexpected. Whereas when this happened, I was like, "Well, of course they're all going to get gunned down. Like, why wouldn't they?" The problem is not is not that it happens because it's such an obvious way to start a Suicide Squad movie. It's the it's maybe the way to start a Suicide Squad movie. They probably should have started the first one like this. Yes, the, I think the problem for me is that. I just feel like James Gunn thinks I'll be shocked by it, that, that it's a twist. Yeah. And I sort of think any audience, any, just any, anybody watching <laughs> Any it, media literate person watching yeah. it is going so, to so, you know, exactly so, what happens. Yeah. So then it's like, okay, so it's not, if it's not going to be a, tw- a twist, what might you do with that idea? And then, okay, well, maybe you do Harley Quinn and Rick Flagg, who, who again, as an audience, you know will, you, you presume will survive. They have some kind of emotional moment on the beach, which I guess they try and do with the javelin-ish, but... You know, I, I just think always there's that javelin when when the film when the filmmaker wants you to think something that you that you don't think and you you sort of think how could I think that that's a that is a slight they've they've just gotten that wrong they've gotten that wrong. Flula Borger's javelin has had I, I think much more success with that character on social media than he gets in the movie itself. <laughs> um, I think his his. Uh, tweets promoting the movie um, have been more entertaining than what what he delivers in it. Um, I think what that opening sequence does do, though, is uh, a a quick and efficient job of setting up the... um, I I guess the stakes of the movie, which is, okay, we're going to very quickly show you that Amanda Waller will blow up these these people's brains if she needs to. Uh, Savon is the, the the main one that we've been introduced to here. Um, he's the one who, by virtue of kind of fleeing this scene, seems to have the biggest semblance of humanity um, of the ones of the ones who die. Um, and and then we also see that you know James Gunn's not going to be afraid to kill off these B-list Suicide Squad members. <laughs> B-list. Well, yeah, yeah. Zedless. But you know what? A, but then, what, and, what, but what, then, and then, so then, when you do flip over to a team that has Bloodsport and the Polka Dot Man and King Shark and Ratcatcher Two, I think that that does give you a sense of. And I'll be honest, you know, obviously, even having, um, you know, having not seen this first half hour, uh, <laughs> I, I was pretty sure I knew what happened in the opening sequence because. Right. Um, none of those characters from the marketing were around. So I was like, okay, so he's <laughs> killed all of those off. And I, you know, and I think it does lend that. And it's something that to be fair, he sees through, which is on this main team, you don't really know who's going to survive. I think, you know, the, the only ones that you are sure of going in are Harley Quinn and, or, or, or that I, that I had any kind of confidence in 
Oh, it was it was probably Harley Quinn, you know. It probably was only Harley Quinn that was like, well, absolutely. Genuinely, die. like the only thing I thought about this movie is the the only thing they can do that would surprise me is if they killed Harley Quinn. Yeah, which they would not. But you know, you know what, what would have been? I think the best version of this opening. What and and again, he wouldn't have done it. I don't think, but you bring Will Smith back and you kill him yeah. that, on that beach. That would yeah, have been. That would have been. Because again, you just know Harley Quinn is again. You know that he's she is safe. That the, all the rest of new characters, they're all fodder. They aren't, you know, Idris Elba isn't in that group. It's they are going to die. Whereas I think if all the marketing was shifted around, it was oh, it's the it's the it's just a sequel to the previous film. Will Smith is back. He's doing another Suicide Squad, and then he's killed in the first five minutes. Then you would really you would really think oh, okay, nobody's safe. But I just don't. I just don't think that you really... I know you're saying, Joe, that you felt that. I guess I just didn't feel... I thought, oh, okay, Idris Elba... Idris Elba is going to survive this movie. Well, you know? I, but I... I until, or until the very I end. thought that about uh, John Cena and um, Joel Kinnaman as well. What, in the process... I mean, John, in the John process Cena squad, did, yeah. right? Yeah, well, by a... John t- Cena did, By yeah. a technicality, yeah. Yeah, which I thought was, <laughs> yeah. I thought was a shame. Um... I, I, t- I tell you what, I'm very much looking forward to the rest of this discussion because um, I'm realising that I'm probably going to end up being the person who argues for a lot of the things that this movie does um, <laughs> as we go on <laughs> because it, it was just that I just didn't get on with the yeah the, the broader kind of unpleasantness. But I, I kind of understand a lot of the decisions that James Gunn makes um, and appreciate yeah, them. It's so. just... Uh... Just quickly, before we go past this, I just want to say how much I really enjoyed the sequence where they're listing everyone's powers and is it Amanda Waller tells Bloodsport what Peacemaker's powers are and they're exactly the same as his? Well, uh, yeah, no, that, and that's that's absolutely what we should talk about next because so after we have the big, you know, the first Suicide Squad is killed and then, we, uh, then it is revealed to us that the other characters from the marketing are pulling up on <laughs> on um, on another beach on the other different side. beach. Yeah. Yes, and because um, I'd already forgotten his name, the the Blackguard, because Blackguard had sold them out, they've actually come in completely undetected. So we have got uh, Bloodsport, uh, played by Idris Elba, Peacemaker, John Cena, King Shark, voiced by Sylvester Stallone, who um, I, I did very much enjoy, uh, Polka Dot Man. Uh, David Dasmalshin and Ratcatcher 2 uh, and that is Daniela Melchior um, and uh, and yeah so they, they've turned up on another beach and then we kind of flash back to them being recruited and yeah so the, 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 the big push early on is to recruit Bloodsport uh, who is he? He is basically Deadshot, right? I don't know what like. Yeah, well, initially there was there was a suggestion, wasn't there, that he was going to be yes. taking over the role of Deadshot, and then they went, uh, you know, maybe we might conceivably want to bring Will Smith back for a future movie, I, so let's make him someone different. I think, I think <laughs> sure, I think sure. the argument have, yes. that, or the, the the explanation that was given at the time, and I think in the marketing sense, has been well, we wanted to give Idris Elba his own character. We thought, you yeah, know, bullshit, that, bullshit. But they, it really does feel like they just did, you know, find and find, find and replace on Deadshot to Bloodsport. Um, so, but having well, having okay, let me. Uh, what I would say is that those bits towards the end where he is 
what's his name? He's, he's Bloodshot, right? He's Bloodshot, yes. Blood, when Bloodshot is like blood, grabbing all he's, the... He's Bloodsport. Bloodshot is Vin Diesel. <laughs> forget the name, right? Forget the name. <laughs> the, 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 forget the name. But the bit with the, you know, all, when he's like taking the little bits off of his suit and making guns out of them, I just thought that that was cool in a way that Will Smith's Deadshot... That's not a, di- sort of, that's not a different that character, though, is <laughs> No, it's not a different character, but it's a slightly different little gimmick for the suit. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but I still can... Dead, 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 dead shot. Dead, no, blood. Dead shot. Dead, dead, no, dead bull, daredevil. Blood sport. Yeah. <laughs> genuinely, this is, is genuinely quite hard. So yeah, uh, we flash back and blood sport is basically um, Amanda Waller. Um, and so, and I, and I do think that, they, that what James Gunn really wants to hammer home here. And Amanda Waller is horrible and evil in the first movie. I just don't think uh, David Ayer does as well, as good of a job of um, making this as integral to his movie. All right. I guess, you know, whatever edit of that movie eventually saw the light of day. Hashtag release <laughs> the Ayer cut. Um, <laughs> the, the, but the, James Gunn absolutely wants to nail home. Amanda Waller yeah. is fucking evil. Um, yeah. And she, um, his daughter has been brought in on a petty offence and she's basically saying, look, I can get her locked up and I can get her tried as an adult and uh, if she gets tried as an adult, she would get locked up here and listen, a lot of people don't make it out of here, which is basically her saying, if you do not agree to join my suicide mm-hmm. squad, I will murder your daughter. <laughs> yep, yep. And you believe it, right? Yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah you absolutely yeah. believe yeah. that she would do that. Um and so uh, Bloodsport agrees to join the team and she's like, look, I, I need you. I need you to be the leader and I need you because you have this very specific skill set. He is, <laughs> he is then immediately introduced the first member of his team who is Peacemaker, who is described as having the exact same uh, skill set. I thought, I thought that was great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was very funny. Um. And then yeah, King Shark, whose thing is that. But is that sorry? People. Is that after the? Is that is that after the scene? Uh, that walk through the prison happens after the scene where um, Bloodsport takes the pen to her neck, right? That's afterwards. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I, that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole film. Actually, that I thought that was that was just Elba and Davis just really properly chewing. The scenery, but in, in in really subtle ways. I loved that scene so much. I thought it was great. Yeah, that was really good. I'd, I'd love that you're describing him holding a pen to her neck as subtle. <laughs> no, but I think their performances I mean, were yeah, yeah. restrained. You, you know what I mean, yeah. right? They were sort of they were like like sort of teeth teeth uh, teeth gnashingly intense, but like yeah. they weren't quite doing the next bit, which was you know murdering yeah. each other. But but it felt it really felt the performances felt really made me think they were so close to that, both of them. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, and then, so so the rest of the team that we're introduced to, who are obviously going to be our main team for the rest of the movie, so yeah, Peacemaker, who is basically, um, what if Bloodsport, but also Drax? Is that fair? Yeah, also I, think John Cena. I think that's maybe a little unfair. Also, John Cena sucks and is bad. Uh, I, agree? I, Sorry, what? Yeah, are you shitting? Bad, bad actor. Are you shitting don't me? buy it ever. Never believe anything. I he thought when he's in a movie. Bad. I thought his performance in this film. I don't know him from any other movies or from his wrestling or anything. Uh, really? That's. I thought he was fucking great in this, and I, I literally said to my girlfriend, like, is 
is he always like this? Because she's a wrestling fan. And I was like, is this what he's... Is this what he does, or is this a performance? You've this seen him in. It. You've seen him in Bumblebee. It, oh yeah, okay. I don't remember him from Bumblebee. Yeah, no, no. But I just, I thought this was a, I thought this was a really good use of him because he's oh. like this sort of hyper straight laced guy who is demonstrably insane and has the power to back it up. I, I thought it was a really I funny. I'm embarrassed by his by every word that leaves his mouth in this and in F9. Yeah. Um, is that? Uh, I think he's. I. I. I really. Yeah, I think. think, I, think the worst guys, uh, film. I think you guys are bringing baggage that. Well, uh, I don't have. James, well, what is Joe think? Let, what is Joe think? Let me bring you my baggage. I have been um, banging the drum for John Cena as an action movie star since I saw him in Twelve Rounds in 2009, which is not a very good movie, <laughs> but I was like. Huh, you could do stuff with this guy. Um, and then eventually he starts, you know, showing up in stuff more consistently. Um, and I remember going, oh, and then, you know, he starts leaning into the comedy. I think he's, I, I think he's really good in blockers. I really like blockers. Um, and then I was really looking forward to him this year in both this movie and F9. And I would say my stocks in John Cena have plummeted after this year. <laughs> I think he's, yeah, I think he's awful. awful. Like he, I, I think he's awful in F9. He's not done. He's not done any favors with that character that doesn't play to any of his strong suits. This plays a lot more to his strong suits. Um, but yeah, I, I still bad in it. I, right? I, He's embarrassing. I kind of think he needs to be fully serious or fully goofy, and yeah, the yeah. the, no, I, the turn, I the turn of this character didn't work for me. I could not disagree more. I thought he was great. I thought he was super goofy, but also the ultimate straight man. I thought it was perfect for the character as written. I can't like like I say, I don't really remember him from any other movies, so I can't speak to his history or his performances elsewhere. But I just thought. I came out of this movie thinking he was one of the characters who you could take and plot, you know, put down in any other movie and know how he would interact with everyone because it's just uh, just so fully formed on the screen. I came out going, wait, th- wait, the TV show is about him? Yeah. Peter Capaldi. About him? Peter Capaldi, on the other hand, I was just like, what the fuck is he doing here? But oh, John Cena, I was same. like... We'll get that. I'm we'll a get big, that. big, 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 uh, James, James, uh, I'm generally very pro Capaldi. I saw this and da- I, I, I finally got up with David Copperfield like the same week that I watched this. And I was like, oh, my stocks in Capaldi have plummeted. I thought he was bad in both of them in very different ways. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about the rest of the team. Uh, King Shark, yeah. who I guess is the killer croc of this movie, except goofier, stupider, and uh, I guess looks a little bit more cartoony. He kind of, because he kind of looks... He's the he's Groot. He's the Groot of the... He's Groot. Yeah, he's, 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 he's Groot. He's Groot, 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 Groot killer croc, yeah. Sure. Because he's kind of I mean, the difference, the difference with... I was going to say, the difference between him and Groot is that you project a sort of empathy onto Groot that doesn't exist in Killer Shark. I'm not sure that's the same at all. I, I no, I, I thought King Shark had, um, like I thought it was quite sweet. His, <laughs> like I did, I did, yeah. I did. He was the weirdly by the third act. He was the one character that I think I was emotionally invested in because, <laughs> because I was just like, oh, this is a child. 
this is yeah. this is of all of these of all of, and, and I guess that's I think that's what James Gunn is kind of going for that in that core team a lot of them are uh, King Shark, Polka Dot Man, and Ratcatcher are, are kids in adult bodies. Uh, but King Shark feels like the toddler of the kids, and he just <laughs> he wants to make his little stick figures out of C four. Um, and he wants to make friends with the pretty, uh, fish and, um, yeah, he just doesn't understand that he's not supposed to eat people. <laughs> and I guess when, when never, the fish attack, never had a friend. Feel bad for him. he's never had a friend, James. <laughs> I liked King Shark. I did. I did like him. I just, I don't think he's Groot. <laughs> okay. Next up is Polka Dot Man, who is uh, David Asmalshian, um, who's becoming a bit of a comic book. Well, um, isn't every actor in this age, but he's in Ant-Man, he's in <laughs> The Dark Knight, he's in The Flash. Um, he's in Dune, which is he? audience, uh, listeners, I talked about to these guys off mic in the break, but Dune, I'm excited for Dune, yeah. he's in Dune. <laughs> no one's going to see that movie. <laughs> he's in Dune! <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, Polka Dot Man, it was, um, uh, experimented on, him and his brother were experimented on by his mum, and he now has this illness where his, he kind of breaks out in giant polka dots across his body, and he has to expel them every 48 hours, otherwise he'll die, and when he does expel them, they're basically like catastrophic explosives, is that have I got have, have I got Pokemon, Polka Dot Man right? Well, but yes, but you've missed the the key piece, which is I think the the most we, the weirdest, most extreme choice the, the this movie makes, which is that he seems to see every baddie, or maybe even everybody. It's not that I'm not sure it's that clear. Everybody he everybody, sees them yeah. as his own mother, yeah. who 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 I think. And again, I'm sure this is a it's a good choice, but the movie never yeah. doesn't ever give you a flashback to to that to his mother you never see the mother you only ever see the world through his eyes and everybody had it looks like his mum, including you know spoilers well of course we're spoilers but you know the end with starro is is his mum and yeah. she's giant and i think that's the most i think that's the most uh jarring sort of thing that the movie kind of and keeps keeps coming back to it's not like it happens one time that happens multiple times okay and i, I loved that and i thought it was weird and uh i I, yeah. I think we're litigating all of these characters so i think we should get into this now um I, again like like i said i kind of view him as another kid a kid who is uh scarred by the trauma of the person who's supposed to look after him and love him and experimented on him and left him with this you know this thing that basically has 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 branded him a villain a lot you know with as i said the other thing i'm not sure, not sure how evil this team feels <laughs> like i'm not sure how bad <laughs> how villainous this team feels uh but yeah polka dot man is has been cursed by his mom has this um affliction and sees her in everyone he sees and it is a source of constant trauma. Um, I kind of like that idea, but I thought the depiction of her, I, I kind of felt like it, it felt laced with misogyny to me. What, in a James Gunn movie? 
I, Are you sure? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to just fire that at James Gunn because I don't. I, I think he. I think he deals with Harley Quinn quite well. I don't think he. I don't think he. Uh, I, I mean, he's from he's from a movie making tradition that has historically not been. Yeah particularly progressive towards women i thought this was a i thought that i thought the depiction of her as this uh, like uh, overweight monstrous you know and and the fact that she, that her face was distorted through whoever he was looking at as well yeah i, I it yeah, it just it just felt inherently misogynistic to me, and I and I didn't like that. I liked the idea of the character being, you know, his his entire existence being defined by the trauma that his mother handed down to him. I just didn't like the way it depicted it. I I hear you. I didn't feel that watching it, and I I, I understand what you're describing for you. Uh, I also thought it was a fat gag. It feels pretty close, but she wasn't. She wasn't. She's not. She's not that fat, you know. I, I think if we if we're really drink, drilling down on sort of comedy choices and what's funny, you know, I, I if she was three times the size, that's a fat joke. If he, if she was three times as thin, that's a. But we don't. We, we don't ever see her. Joke. It just looks uh, like she is a. You know, a jowly middle-aged woman whose face is stretched over whoever's face, and the the final gag is look at her as a giant kaiju. Yeah, but the, yeah, but I, I, yes, but is the is the joke? Are we la- are we supposed to laugh at her as his as his mother? Or are we supposed to laugh at at the fact that he? I think I I think I personally was laughing at the absurdity that he is seeing his mother as as Starro. As opposed to laughing at her, the act, the actress, or the you know the the female figure. Yeah, but some of the some of this stuff is quite it's quite it's, it's I think, fine, I think, fine lines. I, I think. Yeah. I think I I agree with Reese about what the joke is. I also think you've got a point, Joe, in that there's no one there's no one in the film who looks like her who isn't bad, right? Well, there's no one in the film who isn't bad. Well, yeah, quite. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no one. It's it's the kind of latent misogyny rather than active misogyny of like, this is, you know, this is what a mean woman looks like. They're fat and dress badly and ugly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Counterpoint. You know. But like I say, I I feel like that's latent. Not. Yeah. I I I would say I think it has person in the movie. I think it has a misogynistic streak rather than being. Yeah. Yeah. Completely misogynistic. And I'm not. I'm sure. I, I don't think that that was James Gunn's full intention. I just think it's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got Ratcatcher Two, who is the daughter of the original Ratcatcher. Uh, Taika Waititi was announced as being in this uh, movie, uh, and I have no idea. And I and I too much. I think we were all, you know, kind of speculating as to who he'd be playing. We wondered whether it would be King Shark, and then. King Shark was announced to be Stallone, and then we wondered, will it be Starro? Um, it was Ratcatcher 1 in kind of like, oh, some weird flashback scenes where it's kind of where he's, I, I don't know, I got like, um, I got like Mary Poppins vibes with him on the rooftops with his daughter. 
catching rats out on the street. I got ratatouille vibes, and not just because of because they're rat. They you know they love rats. They're kind of <laughs> the par- top of Paris, right? Right. I got. I got. That's that's the vibe I've got. I thought- but just take take. Tyker, just, just please, just please say no to a few, a few more projects, oh, please. Fuck, fuck off for, for a minute. For the sake of everybody, Tyker. just please. Except that Thor, you know, Thor, Thor, God and Thunder is coming out in like March or something. Like he is not fucking off. Listen, and Free Guy came out last week, and and he's doing Star Wars movies. Just Tyker, just, just, just please, just chill out, man. Please. I, I, I would like to announce this right now. I am I am firmly in my Taika Waititi backlash stage. I will not be taking further <laughs> okay. comment at this time. Um, <laughs> his Twitter account fucks me off no end. And um, <laughs> and uh, in in retrospect, how many of his movies do I really like? I'm not I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm really not sure. Jojo Rabbit is a complete and utter piece of shit. Yeah. Job is terrible. Boy is fine, I guess. I like the hunt for the wilder people. Half of Thor Ragnarok is good. Um, and you were shit in Green Lantern, mate. So um, i just like to... I don't think he's bad in this. I think these sequences are really bad. <laughs> I really like Ratcatcher 2 as a character. And I like that kind of... Um, I think this is the one of the better kind of millennial gags where... It's like <laughs> she's asleep. The millennial gag is that she gets tired all the time and likes to sleep. But actually, she's just kind of young. That's I think that's the vibe. Like any te- yeah. any teenager who's ever lived, they're like, "Can you yeah. just fuck off and let me sleep in?" Whereas, uh, whereas actually, what sh- what James Gunn leans into with the idea of her as a millennial is um, a villain with empathy. <laughs> Which I think yeah. is really nice, but yeah, rack. I, no, I, I thought the the contrast of that character was really funny, like the the central tension. And I think I even I quite I... like the flashbacks. To be honest, I didn't notice it was Taika Waititi. Oh really? <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm famously famously I'm bad with actors. Like like I say, I didn't remember I'd seen the film with John Cena in. I but... couldn't rem- I I couldn't tell whether they were trying to disguise him in the earlier flashbacks. Because I was like, oh, that's Taika Waititi. Uh, uh, but they're not fully showing his face. Is, uh, uh, is this supposed to be a twist? Is he going to show up in the like? Is he, is are we going to find out he's not actually dead and he's got something to do with the thing because it's Tyker yeah, and they none kind of, of none of that was on my mind. Yeah, I was, I was like, they're hoping that I haven't properly spotted him. Um, no, I guess it was just a, a fun cameo that. Yeah, and I I liked how sort of idealized those flashbacks were because if you if you look back on what's actually happening, they are homeless and living amongst the rats. Mm. But they, like you say, they have this sort of Mary Poppins vibe to how great and yeah, you know, wonderful everything is. I thought it was I thought that was one of the more successful sequences. Um, and I, and I guess the the thing that the movie is trying to uh, hold back on the entire time is that whilst uh, I, I guess the characters that seem like they have the shittest powers actually kind of have the best powers. Like at the end, when they're fighting Starro, there's absolutely fuck all that Bloodsport can do. Um, <laughs> but the, the others are all able to do a bit of damage. Um, and, and ultimately it's Ratcatcher 2 who has, you know, the, yeah. the, the best power of all of them, which is she's Ant-Man with bigger ants. <laughs> Um, uh, speaking of small cameos in the movie uh, and and of uh, James Gunn's trauma background, Lloyd Kaufman has a 
uh, a cameo, as does Pom Clemency from uh, from mm-hmm. Guardians Two. Uh, she, I, uh, when she turned up as a stripper, I was like, oh, okay, weird. I wonder, I wonder what she's going to do. No, that was that. That's it. Pom's just, and I didn't cock that at all. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. But the, Again, don't think I've ever seen her without makeup on. So the camera does linger on her, um, and and yeah, Lloyd Kaufman I think has a has a cameo in that bar as well. Um, but yeah, so we we so we we've, we've now talked through the full original team. Um, they are kind of getting to know each other. There is tension between Bloodsport and Peacemaker because. They've got the same deal. Um, King Shark tries to eat Ratcatcher 2 in the middle of the night, who sleeps through it. Um, I guess we've also got that kind of sequence that flashes back to the prison where they're all being picked up. We see Weasel licking the glass again, uh, which was that killer shot from the trailers. And also James Gunn also cameos as Calendar Man, um, which I'm not sure if you've seen the full, the the... the uh, the really funny tweet from a DC fan who was outraged that that character hadn't been given like a full <laughs> subplot, and that that that, that Sean Gunn was had ruined was a say, great DC. Gunn. Sorry, yeah, that Sean Gunn had ruined <laughs> a great DC character in Calendar Man, and and, and <laughs> was just outraged that it was just Sean Gunn with some letters written on his head. <laughs> um. But yeah, so there's so uh, King Shark tries to eat um, eat Ratcatcher too, and she's kind of that's the moment where she's like, "Look, have you ever had a friend? I'll be your friend. Are we cool now?" And King Shark says yes, <laughs> which I thought was really nice. Um, and they uh, they manage to enter the country undetected, and this is when we have the kind of I guess the equivalent of the Jay in the American scene where they they uh, reach they get into a, a camp and. Um, Bloodsport and Peacemaker kind of sneak through killing as many people uh, in as many impressive kind of dick measuring ways as possible uh, to try and get into the camp and recover Rick Flagg who Amanda Waller has told her is you know that, that he's still alive can they go and find him uh, and they get there and uh, they get to Rick Flagg and he's sat in a cabin with um it's Sonia Braga. Yeah, I always get confused between Sonia Braga and Alice Braga. This is Sonia Braga uh, yep. for off off of the New Mutants, right? As <laughs> yeah. I said, everyone now stars in multi. No, <laughs> no, this is Alice Braga. You were wrong, Reese. This is Alice Braga. What? This is Alice Braga. No. Yeah. Um, she's she's playing Sol Soria. Sol Soria, who is the leader of a rebel uh, military faction on Corsa Maltese. Except, uh, yeah, they've just killed her entire, well, the majority of her team getting to her. Um, See that, like that, would have been a funny joke had they not been killing people who were doing like absolutely nothing to fight back. Like, I think about three or four deaths into the sequence, I went, "Oh, right, these are good guys, aren't they?" It's and like then a- as soon as they turned up on and they were just sitting at the table i was like yeah okay i understand what's happened here. it's like a video game scene though right it feels like you're batman in arkham asylum sneaking in killing people with, with yeah and there's you know it's a reasonably competent piece of misdirection to have you thinking more about the rivalry between those two characters yeah but i don't know like the thing it reminded me most of was hot shots like when yes. they're okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah 
killing people in the camp as they're storming it and it's just people doing ridiculous stuff and i just felt a bit like i've seen this before maybe because i'm ancient um <laughs> um but yeah i don't know it didn't work for me so it's also it's, it's, it's probably also part of the continuum of uh blood blood sports yep. blood, blood sports <laughs> Uh, sorry. It's probably part of continue, the continue, the continuum of his journey to Peacemaker less so, but you know that just places him at the same kind of place as Peacemaker then in the film. Um, for him to then come away from that by the end of the film, uh, probably if you're being generous. To, yeah, to yeah, probably. So they get into the camp, but, but it was it was my least favorite sequence in the movie. So you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be that generous to the film, to that sequence. And for me, it was like two minutes in, so I was still trying to get <laughs> yeah. my feet. Um, what is this movie? Uh, I don't think we need to talk about Alice Braga too much because she's not really a huge part of the movie. But I do want to talk about Rick Flag, Sonia Braga, who was in, who was in the first movie, and um, Joel Kinnaman, who is. An actor that I, I sound broadly ambivalent to. Um, I think <laughs> most people, I, I, I think, you know, obviously at most Western or English speaking audiences know him. Uh, I, I originally kind of broke through in the remake of The Killing. Um, I, I really liked him here. I, I thought he was like what you guys are kind of what James felt about John Cena getting the character right. I thought that he felt uh, for me, he was the right middle ground between Cena and Elba Um, felt like the closest to a real person in the middle of this. I I don't remember a single thing that he does in the entire movie. <laughs> I will also say I think James Gunn styles him a lot better with that that yellow t shirt. It, yeah, it just yeah. it just straight away makes him feel like a little yeah. bit less of like a military dweeb. Like do you remember Scott Eastwood is in the first movie? And Scott Eastwood has never turned up in a movie where you remember him in it. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Like, they've wisely decided... Like, do you remember there was a moment where they were like, is he going to be the new Paul Walker of the Fast franchise? No, no, he's not. Nope. Because it's <laughs> because it's Scott Eastwood. And like, and, and I think that, that, that Joel Kinnaman is a, a better, more charismatic actor to begin with. Um, and James Gunn gives him a bit more to do. I think he's got that... I think he's got that moral centering. I guess what what I did find really tricky to reconcile here was in the third act when he's having that big fight with Peacemaker uh, and he has this kind of realisation that, oh, we've been sent in to recover the information that implicates the US in the whole Starro project and, and sent in to destroy it. And after the horrors I've seen, that's bullshit. I'm going to release this. Um, that that you didn't buy that. I just, I, I, yeah. I can't, I can't buy that from a guy who is leading suicide, suicide squad teams. Yeah. Like, yeah. who, yeah. who with any moral fiber is willing to go along with leading teams of people who've had bombs implanted in their brains? Mm. That's bullshit. Mm. <laughs> you can't. I think he, you I, can't ask. You felt, can't ask yeah. me to invest in that. I think Joel Kinnaman does as well. As, you know, as good a job as possible. But yeah. no, I, mean, I can't. You can't make that guy the moral center of of the third act. 
I I think like for me, I bought I bought it for that character just about, um, and then I cared when he died. That piece makes hands. I thought that was. I think I think Gunn wants you to feel that death the most. Maybe with maybe with that that uh, Dalmatian, uh, you know, side by side. But I think he wants you to feel that death. He wants you to feel that death, and I did. But uh, I, yeah, it's mostly performance and and the movie kind of you know sort of not drawing too much attention to the fact that he was he was in the first film right and so and is part of the part of the military kind of organization you know he is not he is not a, a villain he's not a prisoner that's been co-opted in this he's in he's in the establishment but yeah but i think this movie kind of it does a good enough job just about he, plus the performance he job, knows that everyone he's there. working with has a bomb in their head that's as that's as much as you need to tell me and like you can you can go oh we need to go save harley but you went to a beach with Harley where she was forced to be part of that team because she had a bomb in her head. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying the movie, even though it, it's, it's aware of that truth, it just doesn't surface it. So, so it, it, it tries to hide that truth. But you're, you're, you are right. You're right. Um, and I, and I want to talk about this now because, you know, I think, you know, we'll, we'll have talked about most of the stuff in the third act by the time we get there anyway. Um, the fight between Peacemaker and mm. Rick Flag. Um yeah, for all I just said, I I was, you know, obviously in that fight you're rooting for Rick Flag and I was sad when he died. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. I I would like people to calm down on praising James Gunn for shooting the fight in the reflection of Peacemaker's helmet because if he had Are they? If he Is that a thing that's Yeah, if he had any guts he would have depicted the entire fight in the helmet. Don't give me a bit of helmet action and then take the helmet away from me. I want uh, I want the helmet to uh, remain throughout. The hell are people taking away from these movies that that was something they praised? What's wrong with people? I kind of agree of like, we liked a bit in the movie where they look at the inside of the helmet for the fire. Right, That's a good bit. All right. Six out Screw five. it, I'm now... Go- <laughs> I'm now going to defend it. It's inventive shooting of action no, to do it in the helmet. Just do the whole. No, I like Just it, do the whole thing. Don't don't cut away from it. <laughs> Joe, you created this 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 rabid fandom in my head that uh, like I've just come to tweet based on this one sequence. Listen, and, I, and to those guys, I say you dreamers. No, fuck both of you. Go outside. Bu- go into a field. I field, built this straw circle. man, and it and only I can burn him down. <laughs> Is it gonna? This sequence gonna turn up on the one perfect shot Twitter account? Uh, no, oh, absolutely. <laughs> we go on the record as not being fans of one yeah. perfect shot because you know what they're called? They're not sh- symmetrical shot. They're not. Sh- they're not. They're not. They're not <laughs> yeah, they're frames. They're not they're frames, you fuckers. <laughs> shots move. Uh, That's a frame. <laughs> one perfect frame. It should be called. We should start our own, our own Twitter, our own Twitter. Yeah. One perfect frame. You know, let's drag him. Let's drag him. So, uh, the team is mostly together at this point after they've got Rick Flag. Uh, and this is when we do... Oh, the- God. So, we're two hours 20. The team has just formed. Yes. Okay, yeah, cool. We're going okay, to race through the rest of this. Let's do this. So, then we've got the, we've got the, um, the Harley sequence where... Uh, she has taken Javelin's Javelin and... Fi- and 
he has said to her she's got to do something with it. In fact, this was the first shot of the se- of the movie I saw was when Javelin was dying. Um, <laughs> it was it was just when I was sat down, but because I had to wait for it to get a bit brighter so I could actually find my seat. So I watched a minute a minute or two from the kind of hey. the bottom of the stairs at the side. I had a bit of popcorn, you know, it was fine. Don't worry about me. I got, you know, I saw it all eventually. Um, uh, Joe, so we are two hours 20 into the recording. So if we if we could just not dwell so much into your specific, uh, like, popcorns and walkings, that, I mean, that really would be nice. I think this is what the listeners are here for, actually. <laughs> this but, is the good <laughs> stuff, okay. <laughs> this is the shit that people normally have to re- uh, subscribe to the Patreon for. <laughs> yeah, this is... Patreon's gold! Uh, the new motherfucker's yeah. getting for free! So, uh, Harley gets uh, captured, taken to the Corto Maltese capital. This is when we meet the kind of the the leaders of the military coup that has taken over here that has threatened to release the information of uh, Project Starfish. And I guess what we get is a handsome, more charismatic and less, um, less gung-ho face of this military coup. Uh, who uh, sees Harley Quinn as this anti-establishment figure and wants to marry her um, and then uh, in the process of wooing her claims to have actually fallen in love with her. Um, He wants to just use the, you know, having the possession of Project Starro as kind of a threat to the West, whereas... Uh, his is it his uncle or his I can't remember the 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 kind of the more the head of the military wants to actively attack the West with Project Starfish. Um, so we get this whole sequence where Harley is kind of that uh, is uh, is romancing this guy and uh, they're falling for each other and there is an off camera sex scene and then. He starts explaining the whole, um, the whole objective to her, and she's like, "Ah, no, red flag! I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna shoot and kill you right now." Um, and and I I didn't see that. This was one of the like subversive moments that I didn't see coming. Hmm. Uh, I th- I think this is a this is a pulled punch a pulled punch of the movie. Ooh. I think. Well, I just think if they'd have, you know, in my view, if they'd have gone with a a, a much a higher profile actor like a uh, uh, Garcia Bernal, Edgar, Edgar Ramirez, um, Diego Luna. If they'd have gone with just somebody with a bit more juice, that would have been a much, a, just a way more impactful moment when she kills him. Uh, I just think it's a full punch because you know you just it's that's just, it's just kind of the the maths of modern filmmaking. You know when this guy is not going to be in the movie, you know. Uh, so I'm not. I just wasn't that. It didn't land when she did. She did what she does, and I would have loved it to be somebody with, with a bit more juice. I think uh, he's thing, played by Juan Diego Botto, by the way, who is very handsome. <laughs> Hot dude, no juice. That's that's my that's my <laughs> that's my review of that guy. Hot dude, zero juice. The thing I found funny about that was the the like inversion of this you know they're like looking out for for your mental health trope where she's like no no this is a red flag and you're like you just fucking shot him <laughs> like he wasn't going to shoot you like it's also i thought so tricky to, to, to just to track her you know the whole point of, of harley quinn is that she is 
impossible to kind of to read. It's impossible to ground her, or it's very hard. Um, yeah, but, well, I mean, so, her thing is, her thing is that no. she's attracted to dangerous men, right? Mm. But she's learned since the previous movies that she should stay away from them. It's just her way of dealing with that is wildly disproportionate and criminally insane. I thought it was really funny. But do you, do you think that the, 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 the she's attracted to dangerous men thing, do you think that's, do you, did you feel that for her before that sequence starts? Or do you feel that at the end of that sequence when she says that line, you know, is that, do you, do you think that's part of, yeah, cause I, part I, immediately, of character? I immediately drew parallels with like, Oh, this guy has power and is dangerous. Mm. Like the Joker. Like, of course, of course he's Harley's type on paper, but you know, she's, she's learned. And when Harley Quinn learns something, it's dangerous for everyone. <laughs> Just, draw, Maybe I just, just imagining didn't, I didn't... Harley Quinn on Love Island right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, we've had two. We've had two Harley Quinn movies so far, and this is the third one. Um, I think that this is the this is the best portrayal of Harley Quinn, the best writing and 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 direction and and performative piece of Harley Quinn that we've had so far. Uh, do you guys agree? Do you guys where are you where are you on that character? So it feels like su- it feels like such an iconic performance. If, you know, it feels like a kind of up there yeah. with Heath Ledger, Joker, Julia yeah. Rogers, if up there. But but and yet we've had three really differently received films on it, including this one. Where are you? Where are you on that? Well, so this is this is perfect because I, I wanted to discuss this. Um, you what? I, I feel like from her first appearance, um, I, I'm. I, I think I've said this on this podcast before. I'm not universally on board with Margot Robbie. Um, I don't, I, I, I've, you know, for instance, like I struggled with her performance in I, Tonya, which got her an Oscar nomination. Um, but I think she's fantastic as Harley Quinn. I think she's been fantastic since that first appearance in Suicide yeah. Squad. I think she's a really good guardian of that character in kind mm-hmm. of taking what was good about that character in, Suicide Squad of building that out into something that felt a lot more rounded and someone who could be the centre of a movie in Birds of Prey. However, I don't love Birds of Prey, but I, I I still think that character works and I think that Margot Robbie does a great job with her in that. And I, for me, this feels like a continuation of that and I think that's more, it's credit to James Gunn that he that it feels like he allowed himself to step back and not try and imprint himself on that character. And, mm-hmm. and but, but ultimately that's not mm-hmm. to give him credit for what, for, for the Harley <laughs> for what she does appear. It's, it's credit to him for going Margot Robbie gets this. This is her character. She owns this character. Let her nail it because I've seen her do it twice before. All yeah. that having been said, I was really intrigued by um, uh, Scott Mendelson was writing a victory lap piece for Forbes this week about uh, Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad's box office underperformance, and you know, box office underperformance even relative to other films that had premiered on, you know, online simultaneously. Um, and other films that had premiered online simultaneously on HBO Max and was kind of going through the reasons why it hadn't done well. And, you know, some of them I buy into, like 
there was a really bad movie called this called Suicide Squad <laughs> yeah. releasing a movie called The Suicide Squad. If you're not kind of embedding in, embedded in this world, you're probably going to be like, well, fool me once. Uh, one of the other points he made was whilst Harley Quinn is a really beloved character, it's clear that she's not a character that is drawing people out to cinemas. You know, this happened with Birds of Prey pre the pandemic, and this happened now where she was a prominent part of the Suicide Squad marketing. And I, I do find that curious. Like, do, like, do we all really like Harley Quinn and really like her as a character, but maybe because none of these movies have been marketed as Harley Quinn movies. You know, she's she's been part of a team every time. Do we, yeah, do, do, how do audiences feel about her? Because it does feel like she's not the draw that a character that has been that well, <laughs> that well executed should be. Can I, can I make a point, a fairly obvious point here, which is that the reason, the reason people aren't coming to see Harley Quinn movies is because she's a fucking Batman villain. She needs to be in a Batman movie fighting Batman. Like, as good as Harley Quinn is yeah. as a standalone character... Like that's that is her natural home, and like I've read plenty of Harley Quinn comics, and none of them are as good as any comic where she fights Batman because that's who she was created to be a foil for. for yeah, those but is that characters. is that true of Venom, James? Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, and, Ven- and Venom did well. Yeah, it did. I mean, it, 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 it did. It did. It did. Joe, <laughs> Joe, to be fair, yeah. To be fair, what James has said, this concise argument of, yeah, you know, I think you need to think about, I need to real, really prepare a you The know, thing, a, a the thing that to. people respond to in Venom is not the thing that people respond to about Margot Robbie's performance of Harley Quinn, right? Well, I Which guess the, I question, think- the question I'm asking is, if next year, let's, let's put COVID aside, if next year a film is released in cinemas called... Harley Quinn. Venom. Okay. <laughs> it's called Harley Quinn. Does that do well? No, yes. because people have seen her in several movies already and they just, mm. they aren't jazzed. Mm. If you put out a Batman versus Harley Quinn, maybe. Mm. I, 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 that, that character, I don't want to see in a Batman movie with, with Margot Robbie playing that character. That, that would be boring to me, but do I want to see that character just doing her own thing, I think. But that's what Birds of Prey was. Kind of. The, there was no the question that she was the lead of, of, Bird of Birds of Prey. The only thing that made her not the lead was that they fucked up the title. The mistake they made, I think that the, the, the narrative about about the Suicide Squad and her in it would have been different if they had... The mistake they made was to, was to make a Birds of Prey movie in between and not a Harley Quinn movie in between. And that's like, that's such a, that's such a low hanging fruit miss. But it was, they, it was made, a Harley Quinn movie. That's such was. a miss. It just was. And, and I do, I, I, I will be honest. I don't, I, you know, I have problems with Birds of Prey. I think it is the best Harley Quinn movie of these three. I think if they had called that movie Harley Quinn, you wouldn't have blinked. Cause like in every, in every incarnation, she's part of an ensemble because you just can't do, or people don't do Harley Quinn as a solo character because you need uh, some grounding around her. 
I just like, think, I think, it's, I think it's, calling it's, it Birds of Prey was a mistake because it just was a Harley Quinn movie. Uh, it is really curious, isn't it? I, I, I just think it's really curious that a character who seems to be as universally beloved as Harley, as you know, as Margot Robbie's version of Harley Quinn, yeah, doesn't that doesn't seem to chime with audiences mm. actually wanting wanting to turn up and see the movie. And I wonder that's I wonder whether that's because from the Suicide Squad and and for me from Birds of Prey, whether people can go. However much I like that character, that doesn't guarantee I'm going to see a good film. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's putting her in three fairly uneven movies, like at best, um, in which she's the best thing in them. Doesn't doesn't give you a huge amount of confidence, and that's one of DC's problems generally, isn't it? Is that whether whether you love those films or not, you can't deny that they are uneven with audiences. Although, and you, you know, get this although, diminishing although, returns thing. I just I also want to make a quick point, which is that mm. I very strongly believe that Harley Quinn works best as part of an ensemble, and trying to spin her off into her own film is not going to work. It's going to be a Gambit movie in which you go. I don't care about Gambit by himself. I want to see Gambit with the rest of the X Men. Like I, that's that's the energy that the character has. She's not a Deadpool. I think I, my I think my problem with her in this movie was as much as I liked her and everything that she was doing, she really did feel like an adjunct, like that she didn't need to be there in the way that the other characters did. Um Yeah, and, and so you know, like and I, I liked some of the stylistic flourishes that James Gunn did with, you know, her big breakout sequence with the with the flowers and all that kind of stuff, while still finding that sequence relentlessly bleak with the violence that it was inflicting in spite of that. Um but yeah, she just she felt like a character who was kind of even after she joined the team, felt like she was slightly at a remove and and and, and how weird that felt that Harley Quinn didn't feel to me like she needed to be there in the way that Polka Dot Man and Ratcatcher 2 did. Uh, well, and that's because, like, that's because the, the character and the star is too is too big to be a side character, but seemingly perhaps too small to be the lead character. So, mm. so you're you're caught in that trap. But, uh, but but to push back against something that James said, you know, I, I think I think that Harley Quinn is 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 Deadpool for the DC and. Mm. And if they could, if they can just figure that out, like that's the that's the formula, and and it's it's proven to exist with with Deadpool, and the only I'm not saying this is not a personal thing to you, James, but you know the only the only difference of the gender being maybe that's uh, some kind of a a a a a kind of a resistance point on on DC's part. For, put, for putting her in that in that exact kind Maybe. of structure, but like that could be. I mean, that's the, the why. Why couldn't she literally, like, literally do all those same kind of jokes that Deadpool does? Well, okay. just as exactly the same kind of character. For me, uh, yeah. For me, the the key difference is that Deadpool has like a, a you know, there's there's tension inherent in Deadpool's character in that. You know, he's this fun cartoonish guy, but actually he does all that because underneath he is a sad, like mutilated guy with a limited lifespan whose powers are killing him. Like, 
Harley Quinn doesn't have any inherent tragedy except that she is insane. And that's, that doesn't lend itself to much interiority. Like, there's no... You can't empathize with a character who is, like, divorced from her own sense of self. I I I agree with you on the page, but I think that that isn't really the Deadpool that is in the, those two movies. You know, that, that those films are not about a guy who is... Uh, facially scarred and and um, you know and with a, with but a there limited is, lifespan. There's still there's still a lot of pathos in there. No, sure, agreed. But you could you could you could get that pathos through the Margot Robbie uh, polyphene character. In fact, in fact, I'd argue that they they kind of have already you know that I would say there's 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 more empathy, there's more pathos in Harley Quinn in these three films than than there is in Ryan Reynolds in those two Deadpool films. There even are though, bits of it. I think I think there are bits of it, but also when it's happening, like you're going like, oh, Harley Quinn is sad because she's gonna have to break up with this guy, but actually, what she's doing is killing him and watching him die while talking about her own mental health. See, I, I think it's the I think it's the it's the performance. I, I almost think it's the complete opposite. That I think yeah. that the thing that maybe holds Harley Quinn back from being the Deadpool is that Margot Robbie has too much respect for that character's yep. integrity and inner life and emotion that she doesn't want her to be just a punchline and a side character and realizes the potential that is more than just uh is more than just you know like the animated holly quinn show that you've got at the moment which i think is is successful but is a is a cartoon and i yeah, think they- i think margot robbie and uh, you know, and I think she found she's found collaborators in Kathy Ann and James Gunn who agree on this. Think that there is more to her than just being I mean, a I, character. I don't. I don't mean to say that there isn't a version of a Harley Quinn film that could work, and certainly there is one that could work with Margot Robbie. I just think that the the way she's been used up until this point has, you know, by association, undermined the the confidence levels you'd need to make a movie starring her. Like if they had done three versions of Wolverine origins with Ryan Reynolds turning up and then did a Deadpool movie, do you think people would have come out? Like he just, he had such an overhaul between his initial portrayal of Deadpool and the one that ended up in the movies that, you know, it was like a completely different movie and different, different version of the character. Isn't the equivalent, the equivalent is Wolverine, which is that I know he, he obviously pops amazingly in that first film and and you care for him, but you know, that's his path from X-Men one, you know, X-Men 2002 or whatever it is to, to Logan. That's, that's, I kind of think Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn is on a similar, similar type of path, which is, which is that 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 force of performance is so strong uh, as to as to as to break some of uh, some of our more uh, some of our more learned rules about characters and performances and audience uh, interest and, and and I just think this is this is the exception maybe that proves that proves the rule uh, and and you could see Harley Quinn movies for the foreseeable with different directors with different you know, going in different directions, but with Margot Robbie just having such an understanding of what that character is and why it can, and why it connects to audiences to, 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 to steer that ship. I mean, just, just on the Wolverine point, the difference for me is that almost every time Wolverine turns up, you get a different performance and a different version of that character. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas every time Harley Quinn turns up, she's doing the same thing extremely I dis- well. I disagree. Like, I think more, more so with it's... Harley Quinn than, than nah, Jack. I think, I think she turned up fully formed in the first film. and Oh no, massively the, disagree. <laughs> no, I think the, the stylistics around it and the direction around it has changed, but the performance is rock solid and has been since... She I think the performance played. is solid, but I don't think she's fully formed. I think we've we've explored a lot more depth to that character in the in the two subsequent movies. But the performance is there, yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. The Maybe, performance is yeah. Ja- I think yeah. Ja- I think Jackman gets better as Wolverine as he goes through. But I, yeah, and, and he does, do, he does different do versions as well. Like the the Wolverine in the Wolverine is so different to the Wolverine of Logan or the Wolverine of like uh, X Men Apocalypse or whatever. Like he's hitting different notes with every time, which I, I do think that that Margaret Robbie is. Anyway, I think we've I think we've reached the <laughs> Harley Quinn impasse, and we should get back to the plot, and we should absolutely race through it. So um, uh, we've kind of got our fully formed team now. They go to. Uh, <laughs> a, we just got the team. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. They go to a bar uh, where they kidnap. No, we haven't got the full team because they kidnap uh, the Thinker, who is played by um, uh, Malcolm Tucker, and we we all agree he's bad. Do we all do we all agree he's bad? Yes, he's, he's so bad. He's bad. Yeah, right. I don't right, know what bad. happened. Yep. Carry on. Bad performance. Um, and they break into the Project Starfish facility. Well, using okay, him. okay. I regret. I regret to go back. But, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, uh, you know. Uh, okay, briefly. Obviously, that that bar sequence, I yeah. think, is supposed to echo the the. The best sequence from the first film. The yeah. the only sequence that anybody cared about from the first film. Well, they brought was that bar sequence. Chat. And I, I Where the bad weirdly, pants? I weirdly think that maybe that sequence in the first room, I think I preferred to this one, only because it's it was uh, a kind of like an aberration in all, in all of the poopy in all the poopy time of that first film. It felt like this, just coming above the parapet of all of the shit to be a human moment. Whereas in this one, as an echo to it, it, it sort of felt. Uh, it almost it kind of wasn't necessary, right? Because it was trying it was, it was like trying to speak to that moment, but you'd already the movie yeah, had already it was done trying to, it was to, trying to build above that moment. It was trying to build a camaraderie that already existed. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's no, it. I agree. Um, that's all. So yeah, they they <laughs> they, they kidnap the thinker. They break into the Project Starfish lab, and um, obviously at this point, with Harley Quinn having killed the 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 charismatic leader the military leader announced to use project starfish to attack the west uh they break in and we kind of cut between well we don't cut between we watch the team split up and then we watch uh the peacemaker and uh rick flag and um rat, and rat catcher rat catcher yeah. two sequence play out and then we watch the other half play out and, and King Shark kind of gets separated from them as well. Um, and um, so we kind of watch the dark, grim version first, which is, you know, we discover all of the mutilated people who have had Starro attached to them. And we find out that the thinker has been doing some unspeakable things to Starro as well. And that it was all set up by the U S government. They were, they were doing this on foreign soil. Um, 
And what they've been sent in to do is really destroy the evidence of that rather than get rid of Starro. Um, and Brick Flag uh, doesn't agree with that. So um, uh, we find we then find out that Peacemaker has basically been sent in as basically Rick Flag Mark II um, as Amanda Waller's puppet to kill anyone who goes off mission. Uh, weird that she would need him given the bombs in the head, but there's a whole thing in this movie about the signal gets cut off so she can't do it. Um, there was a couple of things I thought towards the end of this movie, guys, that were sweaty. A, the oh. the whole, we've been cut off from the comms, so actually Amanda Waller's not in charge. And then I thought the whole thing with Amanda Waller getting knocked out in the... <laughs> In, in the office so that all of the villains could have a hero moment was, yeah, kind of flew in the face of the idea of Suicide Squad as well. Yeah, you, I, th- I think you, you understand the the, 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 the the problem or the solution that that is solving, the the, the problem that that, is, that that is solving, which is that... I understand that. why James Gunn wants to do it. It just feels like a cheat to go, yeah. and now let's, now let's have some rando in an office con commander waller on the head so that we can have this sequence where these villains act like heroes but the i think the old the alternate is 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 worse which is i don't know that they they hack the system somehow or there's some there's some other more technical reason why amanda waller can't kill those characters well it, it, I mean, it feels, like, but, but, feels like an inherent cheat of the concept to go the suicide squad the whole idea is they're villains and when you're walking into that final sequence with Bloodsport, King Shark, Polka Dot Man, Ratcatcher Two, they're not. They aren't. They aren't villains. They're just heroes who you've been told are villains. But that's also. But that's also that. That's also always been quite core to the Suicide Squad idea, which is that they're they're villains. But then you know, by the end of these stories, they get broadly redeemed, slightly redeemed. Uh, and I think that that's how this film ends. That's how the first film ended. And this film does the same with the, the you know, the kind of the, the quarter Maltese baddies as it does with the office baddies. But none, but none of them really them slightly. None yeah. of them are really on an arc of good of bad to good. They're just this is their yeah. this is their status quo. No one becomes a better no, person I, over the course of the movie. <sighs> I don't. I'm not. I. I think that's maybe that's where we disagree because I. Who does? Uh, well, I think Idris. I think you know. Rick, you start Rick with Flag's Elba, the only one that I can think of. Well, no, hold on. You start with Elba cursing out his daughter. You know, in that in that prison scene, and then you end with him, sort of making actions to save Ratcatcher too. So what? So what gets a, a him daughter there? surrogate, right? Yeah, it's, it's it's a daughter surrogate. But what gets him there? What what? What's his arc throughout the course of the I mean, movie? Also, the, the connection, scene to the, where he's, connection to the to the team, connection to the, to the, the character. The bit where he's but. chewing out his daughter at the start, I didn't get a sense that that was combative. I got a sense that was like tough love. Like he he was saying, like he was don't get caught. Yeah, yeah. Like he was he was accepting her as a person, being fairly he was, generous. He was going on the mission, putting his life at risk in the first yeah, place he because he didn't want that. his daughter to die. Yeah, he didn't want her in prison like yeah. him. And the way he was doing that was to say, like, get away from me. Don't end up like this. Like, stay out of my life. Because he knew it was dangerous for her. Like, I, I didn't get a sense at any point that he learned to love his daughter. I got a sense that he, you know, learned to love Ratcatcher too. 
I, I I will say as well. I just I think Danielle Malkiel gives a really great performance in this movie. Yep. I think she is, yeah, it like instantly charming. I, and I, you know, I I kind of do feel like um, on that main team, John Cena aside, I was really drawn to everyone there. I thought David Dasmalshian was really good. I, yeah, I I like I thought uh, st- like between the animation and Stallone's voice performance, I really did like King Shark and I did like those guys but then I just thought that that was kind of a bit of a betrayal of the concepts that I just wanted some of them to at least start out as a proper arsehole like just give just give me someone who is properly villainous and I guess that's Peacemaker and we just get him shuffled off the board I sort of think that like the way they could have made this ending work would have been either to acknowledge that even Amanda Waller doesn't want Starro taking over the planet because that seems like a bad state of affairs for everyone. Or to have had the characters literally being like, oh, fuck this, we're not, we're not big enough for this fight. And then, you know, having Superman come in and chuck him into the sun or something. Like, <laughs> as it was, we ended with them not, not being villains in any way. And with Amanda Waller seeming like a dangerous psychopath who was more villainous than any of them. Well, she is. I mean, that's, that I think is the good aspect of the movie. I think, I think (laughs) she's definitely the intention. I think she should be the ultimate villain of the movie. And, and for the record, by the way, James Gunn has talked about like having an idea early on that maybe Superman would be the person that the suicide squad go up against. And I've also seen like suggestions out there that the Suicide Squad is a concept, which I think probably after the performance of this movie will not happen. But mm-hmm. the Suicide Squad as a concept would be really fun to see different directors come and just like yep. put their stamp on because you don't have, you know, you don't have characters that you need to include. It mm. can literally be anyone. And I think a version of this film that I would love to see is them taking on a villain, uh, uh, taking on a hero. And it's kind of, I'm kind of interested in Black Adam for that reason. Um, I sort of, I don't believe James Gunn when he says that that was the reason he didn't do Superman. Like there's no way they would have let him use Superman. Well, I think he said that he, he had an, you know, he wanted to use, or he had an idea to use Superman. And as soon as they talked about it, it was like, well, would it be, would it be Henry Cavill Superman? Would it not? Would it be DCU? And, and, And he was just like, ah, this sounds like, just an, <laughs> it an, sounds like an imped- gonna get involved. An impediment to just making the movie I want to make. So I'm yeah, really gonna go down that route. But yeah, I think that would be interesting at the very least. Um as it is Starro Starro is a big is a big funny joke by the time you get to the final sequence. But again, that was it comes back to the thing that I couldn't really get on board with in the movie was that here is this big giant starfish which you know feels like in the sliver mold mold mm-hmm. something absurd which i think on a small budget yeah but, like a giant thomas the tank engine or something. yeah like on a, on a but in a in a scrappy movie i could mm. i could get on board with that but like in this giant blockbuster for whatever reason having this absurd image of a giant kaiju starfish while seeing the properly brutal stuff that start, and, and also I thought that I thought the film couldn't quite get to grips with whether it wanted, like there was this idea early on that maybe Starro was sympathetic, 
but then yeah. was but then was but then that he didn't want to really delve into that and so I mean this is the final sequence just again, just turned it into a kaiju. For all the talk no, of disagree, for disagree, the talk disagree. of subversion, like it ends pretty conventionally. Like they don't do anything to to turn the idea of a superhero movie on its head. They just are a superhero team at the end. No, disagree, disagree. Go on, go on, Reece, <laughs> go, go, on. go on, go on. Well, because for me that that moment when like uh, uh, Harley Quinn throws the javelin into into Star's eye, and all the all the rats go into his eye and then eat his brain. It's so, it's so fucked up. <laughs> uh, and I didn't, I, I, I completely, well, not completely, but like I had sympathy, I had empathy with that character, with, this, with the character of a star um, up until that point. And I felt that, I, you know, I did think that was a really kind of pression. But Again, why, we'll go back why to, did you have empathy with Starro? Because it, because of his portrayal, he, you know he's portrayed as portrayed as a you know the first the first scene you see him in he's this sort of very small human sized sort of purple alien that yeah. that the Russians or the Americans oh they, no, 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 no it is the Americans interact mm-hmm. with and then and then he's shown you know and then you you understand him to have been brought to Earth and then put into this lab and then you know owned by the americans but in this kind of guantanamo bay-esque you know external yeah. lab with it with a with a with a brit that works for the americans to have and with, and with, and with you up to this point yeah yeah but but uh, i guess my empathy and is then there. at the moment it's but, but then thing. so i agree with you and i'm and i was thinking are they teeing Starro up as being empathetic yeah and when and when they break as, him out and he as says soon like as oh he's gonna help and it's like, yeah. and and he just goes, I, I I'm just going to destroy the city. And I'm yeah, like, and they don't try and they don't reason with it. They don't give him a mouth a mouthpiece. Like if they had killed him while he was still saying, like, uh, why were you hurting me or something? You know, again, that would have been a subversive moment because he would have been on the villain side while they were killing him. But I, I guess I was. I, I'm not saying like I would have done what Starro did, or that he was the <laughs> the true proper hero of the film. But I, I, I just simply uh, put sympathised with his with his position at that point, and when he died, even though I, uh, uh, even though I, uh, you know, agreed more with the hero with the with the Suicide Squad in that moment as to what should happen for the betterment of everybody, it, that was a that was a both that was a both sides kind of a moment and, uh, and, and it was yeah, a see i i lost the connection yeah i, lost I just, the connection at some fine. point i just fine, needed fine. i i just really needed people to stop dying yeah <laughs> what, what, like there was just so many things they could have done but he, he wasn't killing people different. though star star no 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 as soon as Starro gets people, on you right? you're dead as soon as star yeah, gets they're dead. on you you're dead yeah they're dead they're dead they're, they're all that, specifically they're said they're yeah. corpses they're dead yeah they're all dead yeah all those people who got the tiny star rows aren't coming back because their faces were ripped off. Well, away, yeah. But he'd, be, he'd been fucking put in a, in a, in a gross... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why it would have been, right? like, you know. contrast it with what the Justice League might have done, which is found a way to to reason with Starro or free him and, like, make it clear that the Suicide Squad are just killing him because that's the quickest route to success. But they don't do any of that. They just yeah, as soon think, as yeah. as soon as he turns giant, they drop all this empathy idea completely. Yeah, I, that's that's how I felt. That it just it just became a and now how do we kill the kaiju in the third act? 
and and and, and, maybe, maybe, and I'm a, maybe I'm a weirdo. And, and I thought, <laughs> I thought for the size of the film, the third act or, or this Starro battle felt weirdly small. That it kind of it ended all unfolded on unfolding on one street, on one nondescript oh, street. I loved it. And I thought the the polka dot man death was really like I knew I knew that was coming. I absolutely knew that was coming from the, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, that, that sequence played out. There was no expectation subversion at all there. It, And I don't know whether we're in a, we're in like a post postmodern superhero world <laughs> where like I, that, that is what, I don't know. It just felt utterly inevitable. And when, when he, t- when David Dasmalshin turned to the camera, I was like, here it comes. Yeah, here it here it comes. How long is it? Uh, and there it is. Okay, right. Um, and but yeah, did, did, did you think he was going to die before that that look? Because I agree with you. That look, yes, he dies. But you know, one minute before that, did you think he was? Did you really think he was going to die? Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In that final, in the, okay. in that final sequence, you were, um, you were then you were a soothsayer. Well, I just, you know what? I just thought it was him or King Shark, and I, and because King Shark had already avoided the moment that felt yeah. like the death, That's then right. it was <laughs> then it was coming. Um, it's tough, isn't it? Because you want the movie to be true to itself, but also being true to itself doesn't mean ignoring the fact that you know audiences can read what's coming up. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the classic that is the, that is the classic kind of twist or subversion or um, wanting to surprise your audience dilemma of you want to do those things but but you can't break but you you know you can't you 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 have established what you are already so you, so you have to play within that that ballpark and I think it, it um, all just it all just you know this is the point as where I'm like well I know he's dying and I'm like. God, does he have to die as well? And is and when he does die, is anyone going to mourn him? And the answer is yes, he does have to die, and no, no one is because because death at this point it doesn't mean anything in this film. Like no one, no one cares when these characters die. Like all of these people who are on his team don't care. And like at the end of the movie, and I get, and again, I think that this is exactly what James Gunn is going for, which is that. And I think this is the this is the difference between a Suicide Squad and a Justice League is that they get the information, they go, "Yep, yeah, okay, we won't release it as long as you keep all of our families safe, and we get to we get to go free." And she's like, "Yeah, okay, sure." Um, but it just again, it kind of added to the bleakness and the kind of futility of the whole exercise of like all of these people are dead for nothing oh my god and no one cares that any of them are dead <laughs> i just i just found it so so depressing <laughs> no but will someone will someone mourn any of these people will someone mourn any of them <laughs> but they 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 found they found those uh you know we found love in a heartless place right they found they Do kind you... of found the those ones, connections with each other. The ones Reece, who yeah. made think, it out. <laughs> do you think yeah. Harley Quinn and what's his name, like Blood sure? Blood Spot or something? Blood Spot. <laughs> do we think Harley Quinn and Blood Spot and Ratcatcher Two are going to hang around together after this, or are they going to go their separate ways? I mean, the, the really like the, it's not a found family narrative. I is it? don't it's not know the how they didn't do this joke, but there should have been a joke in the final moment where Harley Quinn thought that he was. 
dead shot the entire time. <laughs> I just or, think where, or where she thinks they're going to be a team now and they're like, no, screw this, we're going back to our old lives or whatever. Maybe I'll make, maybe I'll make a, a more general human point, um, which is that so, so, sometimes, often in fact, you 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 connect you do connect with people for just for just a moment for just for just kind of one event one thing uh and it doesn't need to it doesn't need to last right it's, maybe it's the age of ultron line right it's sort of it, it's it's okay that these characters can connect and do the right thing just for this one moment they don't need to be guardians of the galaxy or suicide squad or any kind of a team after this but I can relate to, and I like that idea that these these characters can connect and do the right thing, and then never never speak to each other again. I, I like that, and and if and and I think I if that's how this movie ends, in my, in my own head, I, that's that works for me. That's fair. I feel like there could have been more done with it, but <laughs> have I won? Have I won the? podcast this is quite fun this is quite exciting let's all one nil to me on the podcast this is fun you've made a good defense of a movie that i'm not sure deserved it i'm gonna i'm gonna ask a quick couple of questions on the post-credit stuff uh the first kind of mid-credit scene is revealing that in fact weasel survived do we ever see weasel again no Nah. No. Um, and then the post-credit scene is revealing that, in fact, Peacemaker survived. Now, I the, the fact that there was a Peacemaker... We never see him again either. <laughs> the fact that there was a Peacemaker TV show in development gave me this sense of full sense of security during the film that he would survive. And then when he died, I thought, oh, that's good. Oh, it's a that, prequel. It's a prequel. That's smart. Yeah, they yeah. wrong-footed me. And then they go... I know, actually, here is Peacemaker with Steve Agee and um, I, I, uh, I don't know the actress's name. Uh, and they're going to the be supporting the supporting cast of the show. They're going to be the supporting cast of the show. And um, I've got to be honest, like, unless that show gets absolutely phenomenal reviews, yep. I am going nowhere fucking near it. <laughs> <laughs> even I, even I, who quite enjoyed that performance, I'm not interested in watching ten episodes where that character is the lead. Like, no chance. It is like uh, doing murdering like the Punisher, but more John Cena, and so therefore, like, the performance is way less good. And it's, I mean, I just uh, no. I mean, please, 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 no, no, please. No. It's uh, it's Jennifer Holland uh, who plays um, Amelia Amelia Harcourt, and she is the. Uh, the what? She is no. She is uh, James Gunn's other half in, in. Oh, okay. In the real world, um, that TV show is also going to star um, Danielle Brooks uh, off of Orange Is the New Black. Robert Patrick is going to be playing Peacemaker's father. Uh, Freddie Stromer's going to be in it off of the Harry Potter movies. Uh, the, yeah. The thing is, we'll I, all watch just, it. We'll all I'm, watch the first episode at least, and then. And that's just the truth. Well, and, apparently James you know, Gunn's written the whole thing and, di- and directed like a chunk of it. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe it will be really good. But based on this movie, and particularly based on like the version of this character that is revealed yeah. at the end of the movie, that's why I thought like, oh, prequel could be fun. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure I want to see the 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 government stooge version of this character. 
yeah, the, the prequel. The prequel is the story of like you know that that's the more interesting. That's the angle. The fact that they went with oh he, he you know hey the worst version of him and then he dies but he's not dead and that yeah. that continued story like no no what why do you think that <laughs> why do you think an audience wants to see the rest of that no that you are you are crazy like i say even i don't want to see that story <laughs> i was convinced the tv show was a prequel the whole movie yeah like what cuz you know cuz what if the what if the actual show was like hey let's take this really generic uh, like kind of liberal, um, you know, soldier, and that's the start of the story. And then, oh, oh, I wonder how he turns into this like fucking sociopath. Like, th- there you go. There's a story. What on what on earth is the story of this of this show now? What's the, what is the hook? I I, I couldn't I, you know I could tell you. Oh, and I, I I do retroactively find it really gross that that's James Gunn's girlfriend. <laughs> Mm. who was who was in Brightburn as well and hadn't really been been in anything significant prior to that. Oh, anyway. Uh, James, do you have any comic book recommendations based on this movie? Um, so at some point we will be reviewing John Ostrander's Suicide Squad um, yeah, that'll on, be the Patreon. on the Patreon. Hopefully within the next week. Yep. Yeah. Um... I mean that feels like the obvious place to go. Although having read it, I'm not I'm not so sure. Um, it's a bit of a slog. We'll talk about it more. Um, I think I probably recommended this last time we covered a Suicide Squad movie, but I think probably the more recent versions of Suicide Squad that have Harley Quinn in are the place to go after seeing this movie. Um, I've not read them myself, but you know they're clearly influencing the cinematic portrayal. So if you want some Suicide Squad comics, that's the place to go, I think. Okay, and I would just recommend that uh, when you when you are listening to this podcast, that you skip thirty minutes in, listen to the rest of it, and then go back to the start and see what happens. Um, <laughs> James, uh, sorry, our final comment, our final section is the pitch. What's the pitch this week? Pitch this week is okay. Harley Quinn, three movies in, three different directors, varying <laughs> levels of uh, success, right? Critically, commercially, etc. Uh, and even with the two of you, varying levels of is that good? So, okay, pitch me a another the, the next Harley Quinn film. Uh, who's the director? What's the film? Oh, no, not what's the film. Who's the director? And I will start with. Uh, I feel like James is is lesser on it. So I'll start with Joe. I'm going to start with Joe. <laughs> okay. Um, do you know what? I actually think I've got this nailed. I think I have got this to a T. So uh, you need... You're killing time. You haven't thought about it yet. You were no. just sort of doing that to, uh, to think about something. You need... Yeah, a, that's smart. That's, that's the smart... That's I mean, smart you'll, game you'll give me like all it. the time I need now. Um, <laughs> you need a female director. And uh, my idea for this movie is um, Harley Quinn hunts down and kills Jared Leto's version of the Joker. Like, it is, it is just a full-on revenge movie where she will, by the end, have hunted down and killed... Jared Leto's Joker. And I'm getting the director of You Were Never Really Here, uh, starring another Joker, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Lynn Ramsey, to direct that movie. Um, And um, I think you allow 
Harley Quinn to access, uh, Margot Robbie to access the kind of darker side of Harley Quinn in that movie. Uh, you are, you, you, you still, you kind of trust her to have the handle over that mm. character that explores the comedy more. Um, but you, you allow Lynn Ramsey to tap into the darkness of that character who has been, mm. um, who's been really mistreated uh, in the past and allow her to go back to the source of that and kind of, um, yeah, uh, explore where all of that trauma came from. Yeah, like it. James? I love, love to see a Harley Quinn film about trauma. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a lot of fun. Um, my pitch is that you bring back Rachel Talalay, who mm-hmm. was so good okay. doing the, okay, the punk aesthetic on Tank Girl. Uh, you bring back her, you bring back Laurie Petty, and you do a Harley Quinn versus Tank Girl movie. <laughs> that's great. Because that's, that's what I want to see. I want to see anarchic humor. I want to see batshit design. I don't want to see grimness and seriousness. I want to see a film that will leave me feeling just psychologically overwhelmed. Like I've just watched two and a half hours of anime that made no sense. Are James, are they essentially the same characters? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the, so, so the answer is, is of course it's Julie DeCarno, the Palme d'Or winner, uh, directed <laughs> Raw and and Titan, and so that's the winner. Uh, I, I guess I guess Joe's answer is like a little bit closer to that. So I guess Joe wins, but only way out because but neither the neither of you gave the neither of you gave the right answer. So, so that's that's fine. Uh, so so Joe wins it this week. That's fun, um, and we can look forward to a Julie DeCano Harlequin movie in you know probably probably ten probably six years six to six to ten years. I think that's the uh, first win that Reese has awarded me, and it could not have been more backhanded if he tried. Genuinely, I have my uh, doubts as to whether we ever see Harley Quinn again. I don't know how many times no. they can. Oh no, I'm, I'm uh, convinced. I just we did. I don't know how many times they can wheel her out and do the wrong thing with her. Like as uh, much as I enjoyed Birds of Prey, I think I think. We've not yet seen the best use of this character, and I'm not sure we will. The thing with you is, you just you hate women, and so that's that's not on the industry. That's (laughs) on you, and that's that's something you need to really look at. Because women are good, and movies are good. (laughs) No one is a bigger fan of Margot Robbie here than me. I even like that film about gambling she did with uh, Will Smith. (laughs) Oh, you mean... Oh, God, what was that called? Focus, Focus. that's the one. Yeah, Yeah, that really bullshit section in the middle. Yeah, (laughs) Focus, that's the one. I I liked it. I enjoyed that. I liked her in Sex Education. I think two seasons of that, and she's really, really good. And she's got... Oh, she's great in Ready or Not as well. She's so good in that. Oh, Oh, my God. She's she's so good in My Name is Earl for like five seasons, (laughs) ten years ago. She's incredible in that. what no that's the joke that jamie presley and samara reading the joke is we all know the we know that's the joke we know the joke everyone knows the joke <laughs> i'm not being like a weird I'm, I'm doing the joke that you guys were doing why we're do i get the blame we're drawing this episode to a close i would like to say if you enjoyed this episode then please subscribe on your podcast app of choice uh leave us a rating or review if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Cine underscore verse. I'm at Joe Cunningham 14. James is at James Hunt. Reese is at Reese. You can contact us uh, with uh, podcast at cinematicuniverse.com. And uh, you should head to Patreon if you need more of this, except I think this episode is four hours long. Uh, so 
uh, who knows, but we are talking about what if over on the Patreon each week we're talking about the episode that has aired on Disney Plus and a what if comic. So head over and check that out. Um, but yeah, uh, come back after the after the credits. Hear what we'll be covering on the main feed next week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye. Throughout my life, the Ten Rings gave our family power. If you want them to be yours one day, you have to show me you are strong enough to carry them. Cinematic Universe returns in a few weeks' time with Shang-Chi. No, I thought it was Sonic the Hedgehog. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.